Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Andrew Hustler-Patterson with you along with Michael Remus. A lot to get to today. You know, I should be in a great mood. The Jets snapped their losing streak. Canada beat the United States in soccer. Uh, But I come to you today with a heavy heart because the Chiefs choked in the AFC Championship game yesterday. Uh, I got to own that one. We'll uh, talk about it all today on a packed edition of Winnipeg Sports Talk. I'm looking forward to um, talking about the uh, best thing that happened on the weekend, and that was Canada just about officially clinching their ticket to the World Cup in Qatar. Steven Sandor is going to be back on Winnipeg Sports Talk to talk about the monumental victory yesterday at Tim Hortons Field in Hamilton, Canada to USA nothing, and our Canadian men's national team at the top of the table and looking all but assured of a trip to Qatar to play in the World Cup for the first time since 1986. Um, and of course, Jet fans and probably Jet players breathing a little easier after a uh, great 4-1 win with Eric Comrie standing tall in net Saturday afternoon in St. Louis and uh, contractually obligated to discuss what happened in the National Football League playoffs as well. Um, and we'll do that with Benny Heisler coming up a little bit later on from Betsided. A uh, big shout out to all of our sponsors, including Culligan Water, Vita Health, F Apparel, Manitoba Battery, Royal Sports, Not Auto Corp, Little Brown Jug, Princess Auto, Boston Pizza, the Nick and Nicky DQ Group, our friends at Canadian Club Whiskey, and of course our betting partner at Cool Bet Canada. So Hammer coming up live from Philadelphia uh, a little bit later on, as well as a chat about the Canadian men's national team and the National Football League playoffs. We'll also hit what's going on at the Scotties and our Princess Auto Curling Report. Celebrate Rafa Nadal's 21st Grand Slam at the Australian Open. And some big CFL news as well with a big money offer to Bomber star receiver Kenny Lawler from the British Columbia Lions. But let's get it going and welcome in my guy Michael Remus to start things off. Remo, I'm sure you're in a much better mood than I am. Uh, How are you and how was your weekend? Great weekend. I'm feeling really good because I know we've had a lot of audio issues on this show. Just uh, growing pains. But when I watched the CBS halftime show... From the AFC Championship <laughs> game yesterday, I was feeling really good about any minor muting we have we've had. So if you didn't watch it, uh, I guess they set it up next to like a giant speaker, and you couldn't hear any of the commentators. Uh, but yeah, I'm feeling good. It was a good weekend. Um, I don't know, did a couple things, but spent most of it yesterday uh, watching watching football. Two great games down to the wire, and it's really been uh, two weeks of football. We also had uh, the Jets game Saturday. Where did you know that Eric Comrie can he can stop the puck? He can play a goal at, in the NHL. Who would have thought it? Uh, and he was back off. Uh, he was in protocols before. Came back and snapped the team's uh, losing streak in St. Louis to a division rival. Big win for the Jets on Saturday. And I think I'm I'm going on here. I'm, as Kenny says, taking a trip to the buffet on a number of topics here to start. Go for it. But. Um, just when you think, it's very classic Jets over the last couple of years. Just when you think this team sucks, they can't win games, trade everyone, they go out and have a great performance when you least expect it, again, again against a division rival ahead of them in the standings. And I know we were all doom and gloom after they lost to Vancouver, but I don't know, maybe their playoff chances increased ju- just a bit. So, Well, you know what? It's uh, funny. I did, I did the OB pregame show with, uh, with Kelly and uh, Dwingle Whitechuck on Saturday. 
And, you know, I mean, listen, we were talking about where the team is, the condition critical, talking about the playoff chances, how they've gotten into this predicament, the two games remaining, um, and just how disappointing the Vancouver game was. And the one thing that I said, and this was a very glass half full take, trying to find some positivity with the current state, um, was that, you know, this team has risen to the occasion against the St. Louis Blues. I mean, so far this season, uh, they had the, um, you know, the one point um, in o- OT loss, I believe, or shootout earlier in the season. And then Dave Lowry's first win on December 19th was a pretty strong performance by the team um, in a 4-2 win over the St. Louis Blues. Um, I mean, the Jets didn't like the situation that they've been in. I mean, I certainly don't think there's anyone that was liking the way that they were playing. Um, and I think they all realized that this was pretty much time for the rubber to hit the road or pretty much we'd be talking about the trade deadline for the next three, seven weeks. Now, that could certainly still happen. Um, but nothing was going to happen without starting it off with a win. And, you know, I thought maybe the Blues would bring out the best in the Winnipeg Jets. I mean, hopefully maybe the situation would bring out the best in the Winnipeg Jets. And uh, listen, I don't know whether they got the best from everybody in their lineup uh, on Saturday afternoon. But first and foremost, you mentioned it. Eric Comrie with an absolutely monster game in really what I think to most people was a surprise start. I mean, I certainly didn't think Comrie was going to get in, uh, you know, in either against St. Louis or against Philadelphia. Um, Dave Lowry, I think, realizing that, you know, Connor Hellebuck just simply needed a day off, you know, went to the, the an unproven backup goaltender, and he stood up with one of, if not his, most important performance as a National Hockey Leaguer. So first and foremost, I thought Eric Comrie was phenomenal in net. Um, I thought the young defensemen that were filling the spots, including Declan Chisholm, um, you know, really stepped up as well. And I got to tell you, Remus, I know it was pretty ugly at times for Billy Hanel in his first couple of games, getting a shot this year with the uh, Winnipeg Jets. He uh, he looked like the guy that has made Winnipeg Jet fans so excited about the future on Saturday afternoon, playing with a whole different level of confidence and effectiveness uh, on, on alongside Neil Pionk for a good portion of the game. It was a uh, a lot of things to like. And, you know, frankly, just with how miserable it's been around the Jets for the last couple of weeks, an important win for both the fans and I think the players. And it'll be interesting to hear from uh, Hammer, who, of course, was in St. Louis on Saturday, uh, but what he heard from the club uh, afterwards, as well as how things look today. As you mentioned, looks like Dylan DeMello getting ready to return to active duty as he was out as a full participant in practice today. Yeah, we'll see. Um, we'll see what happens with Demello. He did practice on like the fourth uh, D pair, um, so uh, maybe it's possible. I haven't seen. We were doing some pre-record, so I didn't really see it. But Jeff will give us the update shortly. But I mean, you looked at the Jets' defense going into the game. They're like three of the six guys started with the Manitoba Moose, uh, Chisholm, Kovacevic, who just you know had just played in his first game in Hanala. I mean, Hanala, 18, he outpaced both those guys. He played almost 19 minutes, 18.56. Those other two guys in the 12, 11 minute range. And you saw how, yeah, how leaned on he was. And again, Eric Comrie stopping 28 of 29, 9.66 save percentage. That's the performance you need. And I kind of agree that, you know, we had seen the Jets, although we had seen the Jets early this year against other Central Division opponents. Um, Minnesota, I mean, gave up a touchdown. Colorado to Nashville. It didn't go well, but. Uh, the Jets have always played the Blues tight. I mean, going back to, uh, I remember the Andre Pavlik days of him in net. Um, <laughs> they've always had uh, good, competitive, hard-fought games, and uh, they definitely brought in. One thing we haven't touched on was, I know a lot of people were talking about after the game, was Mark Shifley not seeing the ice uh, in the final, what, around four minutes or so. 
And, you know, we had talked about him on Friday when he came out and said the team didn't really have an identity. And I don't know if uh, Coach was upset about that or upset with some of the turnovers that he had in the game. But I wonder if there was a message sent and was the message received. We'll have to wait and see tomorrow night. But I think that's a storyline, you know, that's been occupying the last couple weeks. And I know how will he respond here as they have one game tomorrow and then they have the break. So um, something to watch out for. I think as, you know, we've kind of slowly been seeing a changing of the guard as, you know, Kyle Connor and Pierre-Luc Dubois are the number one line ahead of the Shifley Wheeler. But uh, I think the ice time hasn't really reflected that as much as some people would like to see. And we'll have to wait and see Tuesday uh, what happens, uh, you know, with, with the ice time and as well in the second half too. Cause that's, well, I mean, that's two games in a row that Dave Lowry set down 55 for the last four or five minutes of the game. I think it was about three and a half afterwards. He made that, you know, uh, um, just a, a very careless drop pass. I mean, basically right to Robert Thomas set up a glorious opportunity and Eric Comrie bailed them out. Uh, but I think at that point, Dave Lowry had had enough. I mean, he'd had, you know, a group and a number of other guys that were really seemingly committed to what they needed to do to win the game. I mean, they limited St. Louis to two shots in that second period, which was part of that big turnaround and came back from giving up the first goal. I I will say this, Remo, the uh, comedy of errors that led to Paul Stastny's goal to tie the game up in the first period where it was Jordan Cairo and one of the Blues defensemen smoked each other. And the Billy Huso went out to get it and made a mess of it, essentially allowing one of the easiest goals Paul Stastny's ever going to get. In some ways, I was joking with the guys I was watching and watching the game with. Maybe that's the turning point to the season. Um, Sometimes weird things have to happen. And, um, you know, from that point on, I thought the Jets really got a lot of confidence. Um, and we mentioned, you know, Hamilton described it as kind of one of the sneaky best periods of the year for the Winnipeg Jets. I mean, they only had six shots in that second period. But from Dave Lowry's perspective, to, to back up your goalie the way that they did, allowing only two uh, two shots on net, and then for Eric Comrie to play the way he did in the third period, making 16 saves, there was a, a, a lot of good. But, I mean, it wasn't surprising when you have the conversations that we've been having about Mark Shifley and the questions that people have been asking about you know, where is his engagement level, how committed he is, and especially coming off what he had to say in the media heading into the game. Um, you know, it's hard not to talk about Shifley being benched for that final three and a half minutes. I think everyone knows why it happened. Um, but, you know, credit to Dave Lowry for doing exactly what he said that he was going to do. And I think he is trying to establish maybe a level of accountability for all players that wasn't really there in most people's minds under Paul Maurice. Yeah, and I think that was something that we had heard uh, here from a while. Um, you know, why, you know, if you're making a mistake and you're in the bottom, uh, you know, bottom player, you know, you get benched. And if you're a top guy making a mistake, I mean, they just keep putting you out there and nothing really happens. And I think we've seen Shifley just, you know, kind of gliding around. Steve Coolius used the term, what, flybys. Uh, and we saw it on the overtime goal. You saw giveaways. Just hasn't looked like the guy that we saw in the playoffs against, uh, you know, the, you know, we all go back to the playoffs against Nashville in that series where he was, you know, setting records for goals on the, on the road. He doesn't look like the same player, not as engaged. So I don't know what it is. Maybe this will stab him out of it. But uh, again, something something to watch uh, going forward and was definitely prominent in the game on Saturday. And, you know, I kind of joke, uh, you know, my friends and I laugh at Paul Stasny. You look at him, Huss, he doesn't look like the most skilled guy. Um, he's not the fastest. He doesn't have the best hands, but uh, he's a worker. He's a veteran player. He's very, very intelligent when he has the puck, and um, not a fluke that he continues to score. You know, 
I mean, you look at his goals, not exactly the most highlight reel goals, but uh, he knows how to put the puck back in the back of the net and was able to take advantage of an opportunity there on Saturday. Um, again, would you say a full 60 for the Jets Saturday? We hadn't seen too many full 60s, so it was, it was a well-deserved win and very happy that that losing streak is over. Yeah, no doubt about it. And uh, Philly, uh, Philly's losing streak is over as well. They beat the Kings yeah. on Saturday, so they will not have lost 14 <laughs> games in a row going into the Winnipeg Jets game tomorrow night. And thank God for that. Um, you know, two teams that both desperately needed wins got one, and not one of them at the end of tomorrow will have won two games in a row. Hopefully, for our sake, it is the we, visitors. Um, we, I believe it was Schmidtface that just mentioned that you know, the ease of the Stastny's first goal was, um, you know, maybe exceeded by the ease of his empty netter when the uh, St. Louis defenseman dropped in. And that was kind of the final nail in the coffin for the St. Louis Blues. Um, but speaking of Nate Schmidt, big goal for him on the power play ream. And, you know, we've talked a lot about, you know, what way, what's the most logical setup to get the most out of what the Jets power play has available to them. Um, and I'll tell you what, I believe it was Ken on the program last week who was sort of making the case that, you know, Nate Schmidt in that shooting position might be the best man for the job. And, um, well, there he was scoring a big, big goal for the Winnipeg Jets on the power play on Saturday afternoon. I got to say, I like that look, and I wouldn't be surprised if that's something that Dave Lowry sort of leans on tomorrow night and uh, coming out of the break. Yeah, something to watch. I really like how, um, you know, Morrissey's been out uh, while he was in protocols. And um, Nate Schmidt has really stepped up, I think, as a top pair, especially in an offensive, uh, offensive role. So uh, we'll we'll wait and see what happens. We do have. Um, you want to go over the lines here? Sure. For today, uh, I shout out to Jeff for posting these, and I'll just bring them up on the screen so everyone can see. Sorry, podcast guys, but we're on YouTube as well. Uh, Cop, Shafley, Wheeler, Connor, Dubois, Perfetti, Stasny, Lowry, Poganski, Harkins. Tony Nato, Veselina, and here's the D pairs. This is what we're looking out for. Dylan Schmidt, Hainala Pionk, Morrissey Kovacevic, Chisholm Jamel, Leon Gavanka is the ninth, defenseman Hellbuck and Comrie in net. And I see a lot of people in chat wondering, well, who comes out on D? Um, you know, if who comes back? DeMello comes back. I'm not sure. I guess it maybe looks like DeMello would be the you know fourth D with Chisholm. So I would think Chisholm would come out and maybe it'll be one more game we'll see DeMello after the break. But Jeff will have the updates uh, updates coming up. But uh, it's interesting. Feeling, uh, listen, I, I would be surprised if Billy Hanlon doesn't get another opportunity to play with Neil Pionk. I mean, you know, and Pionk played like 26 minutes or something in that game. I mean, obviously he played more than Billy and did a lot of good things. And, you know, they really needed a big performance from Pionk on Saturday afternoon. Um, but I think there was, and you know, many people have said, well, no kidding. It didn't look good. You know, he got thrown in an hour before the game to play alongside Nate Beaulieu earlier this week. Um, you know, knowing he was going in and playing with a, a guy like Neil Pionk, um, certainly seemed to bring out the best in Billy Hanela. Um, so, um, you know, with the guys that are in right now, Chisholm probably comes out of the lineup and, you know, when DeMello and Morrissey are both in, I'd imagine Johnny Kovacevic out, um, you know, and then, it'll be Billy's opportunity to kind of take that position, I would say, and run with it. And, you know, when Dylan Sandberg and Logan Stanley both get healthy, going to be some tough decisions for Dave Lowry. Um, but like we saw with Dylan Sandberg, who sort of jumped a few guys in the queue, went in, played very well, and stayed in the lineup. I think if the team's playing well, if the player's playing well, and they're getting the results they're looking for, I don't think they change it up. So 
huge opportunity for Billy Hanel coming off Sunday, Saturday afternoon's game going into tomorrow night in Philly, assuming that he's in the lineup. Yeah, I agree with you. I think there's that's a good match. Hanel Pionk, you know, two guys who play, you know, puck moving offensive style, but can also, you know, come back. So I'm looking forward to seeing uh, what happens uh, there going forward. And it's kind of, you know, there's such a log jam, I think, with defense. You know, one guy goes out, but everyone else seems to pick up the slack and it's kind of been rotating. So like Hainala was at the top and he got hurt. Everyone moved up and now it's Sandberg's hurt Stanley bully. So I wonder, um, I, I don't know. I, I wonder what's going to give here. Are you just going to have a constant injured deal? Like, what do you do when everyone's healthy? You have a lot of guys who've performed and shown that they're capable of the NHL, but you can't play, you know, you can't play all these D. Um, so I have a good problem to have. And maybe it's something that plays into the trade deadline coming up uh, next, I guess, in March. We have one day left of January, but so uh, something, I think that's something to watch for. What do they do with all these D? Yeah, um, you know, absolutely. I mean, it's very packed right now. And listen, we knew some guys were going to be getting hurt at some point. Didn't expect it to all happen at the same time combined with COVID. But um, we pretty much have seen the entire Moose defense, uh, minus Leon Gavanka, who hasn't got in the game yet, but he's practicing right now with the Winnipeg Jets. Um, but I think going into all of this, we all sort of assumed that Billy Hanela was the number one guy on the list with Dylan Sandberg right there. Um, but it's been great to get a chance to see Declan Chisholm, I think, has been a real pleasant surprise. Team's 2-0 and with Chisholm in the lineup right now. Yeah. I mean, if you want to talk about keeping a line, a line together. Um, and you know what? Great to see Johnny Kovacevic play, get a win with his club, play in front of fans. Well, more than 250 for the first time in his career. So overall, um, a, a nice game for the Winnipeg Jets, an important two points. Uh, and they're going to need another two points tomorrow coming into the break. So Jeff Hamilton's going to join us in a few minutes from Philly. We'll get his thoughts on the game. We'll talk a little bit more about some of the decisions Dave Lowry made, including sitting 55 on the bench for the final 3.30 of the game, um, as well as set up tomorrow's game against the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, but Remo, before we get to Jeff, let's talk about a couple of the other big things on the weekend. We will get to the NFL, um, but man, been talking about this for weeks and months on this program that people need to if they haven't already get on the bandwagon of Canada soccer and our Canadian men's national team and you know it's been so much fun watching them you know have the results that they've had through the first two group qualifying windows to put them up right there with Mexico and the United States and now over the course of these last few home games I mean a win a famous win in the snow in Edmonton and then yesterday afternoon in front of what looked like just a crazy crowd, albeit only at 50%, um, another historic win for Canada's men's national team. 2 nothing over the United States. And uh, we're uh, just about ready to book the tickets to the World Cup for the first time since 1986. Canada is on top of the table with only four games remaining. Not officially clinched a spot, but pretty much there. And a four-point cushion over the usual big boys in CONCACAF, the United States and Mexico. Isn't it great us beating uh, the United States in any sport? And what an atmosphere uh, in Hamilton yesterday afternoon, uh, missing uh, you know their top player, Alfonso Davies, who was live streaming a watch-along on Twitch to a ton of people, and his reactions have been, uh, been incredible. But I think Canada soccer opening a lot of people's eyes, not just here, but, um, you know, across the soccer landscape. And I never seen Canada in a World Cup. It never seemed like it was even a possibility. 
And to not only qualify us, but uh, what they can finish first in the group here and beating all these countries, uh, pretty cool. And we do have one more game uh, Tuesday, but what a stretch here it's been. And but to use that, uh, I want to say home field advantage, but they do have cold weather in USA. It wasn't like uh, back in Edmonton where they were playing uh, the snow game, but uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean that pretty uh, pretty incredible, and it's something that I think uh, you know everyone's going to be. Hopping on the bandwagon for. Well, it, I mean, it's an it, it's a seminal moment, I think, in soccer in Canada. And I mean, you know, we'll talk about this with Sandor a little bit later on on the show. Um, but I mean, we've been a women's soccer country, and I mean, mm -hmm. Desiree Scott and Christine Sinclair have you know taken our women's national team to the greatest heights. I mean, three Olympic medals, including the gold uh, in their most recent competition. Um, you know, which was you know the greatest victory in Canadian soccer history. Um, but it's been, you know, really unfortunate over the last, you know, basically my entire lifetime, um, that the Canadian men's soccer program for such a long time was in shambles. And, you know, you bring in this new generation of incredible, incredibly talented players. I mean, Jonathan David, I'm not sure how many people know this. I mean, we focus in on, on Davies quite a bit and for good reason, one of the most talented players in the world playing for a super club in Germany for, uh, for Bayern. Um, but Jonathan David has for the most part of this year been leading the French league in scoring. That's a league that has Neymar, that has Lionel Messi. And it's a Canadian guy that's been scoring more goals than anybody. And, and you mix in Kyle Laren. And of course, I mean, the one guy that I think we have to talk more about is the, the king of the sweats, uh, Milan Borjan, our goaltender, um, who made some huge saves against Honduras, did it again yesterday against the United States. And not only was the captain yesterday, with Atiba Hutchinson out, Remo, but really seems like sort of the emotional um, battery of Team Canada. And um, there's a lot of emotions, and it's all good right now for the red and white. Yeah, it's absolutely uh, incredible. I haven't seen what the uh, ratings were. I mean, it was a tough a tough head-to-head, uh, -head, Huss, going up against, uh, at least yesterday, going up against the AFC yeah, Championship timing wasn't game. very good. Yeah, timing, uh, timing wasn't right there, so... Um, yeah, I mean, it's an incredible story and I think it's, it's not over. I think this is actually uh, just the beginning. Going to have to get some of my Canada soccer, uh, merch out there. Yeah. So, um, and we're going to talk to Steven Sandor about that a little bit later on. Looking forward to it. And, uh, as I said, this is officially a soccer show. We don't need to talk about football anymore. Mm. We'll focus in on the CFL off season. Uh, but <laughs> I feel, I, I do feel very similar to a certain show on February 8th of last year, Reem, when I had to roll in to the afternoon ride and own the Chiefs getting their asses kicked in the Super Bowl. Now, that was an incredibly disappointing game, but the Bucks beat the Chiefs in literally every aspect of the football game with the exception of the quarterback position. I joked afterwards that if you swapped Brady and Mahomes in last year's Super Bowl, Tampa probably wins like 70 nothing. I mean, it was that it was that lopsided on the line of scrimmage in pretty much every aspect. And Mahomes is running for his life. The game yesterday and the way that they lost, um, you know, longtime Chiefs fans will remember some ugly losses and some big blown leads in the past. I was just going back to maybe the most painful one I'll ever remember was the Chiefs blowing a 38 to 10 third quarter lead against the Indianapolis Colts in a 2014 wildcard game. I believe it was a wildcard game. 
uh, and losing 45-44, one of the craziest comebacks in NFL history. Um, this game was just about over. I mean, it was 21-3. The Chiefs had three possessions, three touchdowns. They get the ball back after Cincinnati finally got on the board with uh, with six to make it 21-10 and go all the way down at the end of the half, knowing they're about to get the ball back with the second-half kickoff. And um, just an inexplicably bad decision. Uh, probably a combination of Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, but this is on Mahomes. I mean, you are the guy, you want more shot, one more shot. Okay, great. You know that there's five seconds left. You have to know that you don't have another timeout. Um, and you need to call a play accordingly. You're going to the end zone quickly. If it doesn't happen, it's incomplete. No problem. You kick a field goal. You're up 14 at halftime, getting the ball in the second half. I mean, that decision to throw the screen pass to Tyreek Hill, where he ended up getting caught and, uh, you know, tackled and the clock ran out, was such a big boost for the Bengals. Um, I'm not sure what it was like in there at halftime. Um, you've got a guy like Joe Burrow that they've got such incredible confidence in. I mean, and that was all it seemed like the opportunity for them to get back in it. But what was more stunning was just how night and day the first and second halves were when it came for the Chiefs offense. I mean, the Chiefs basically did what they wanted in the first half, scoring the touchdowns on the first three and taking it right down to the goal line on their final drive. It was the exact opposite in the second half. And, you know, credit to Zach Taylor and the defensive assistants on the Bengals. I mean, the way they changed their defensive game plan um, to just rush three guys, dare them to run the football, put eight guys in coverage, double Kelsey, double Hill on just about every play. I mean, it really frustrated Mahomes. And it seemed like the Chiefs, they would ran the ball quite a bit on first down, but they never wanted to keep running the football. And I think that was a critical error. Um, but in the end, I mean, it seems like one of the worst chokes we've seen by a really, really good football team. I mean, there's absolute dagger for uh, the fans that, you know, support Kansas City, of which I am one. I was miserable yesterday after the game, as one would imagine. But I have to tell you, um, you know, I know this would have been the same way if they lost to the Bills, to be honest with you. I got a lot of love for Buffalo. That team's been through a lot. They've sucked for a long time. They've had a lot of losing. But man, when you think about losing, I mean, the Cincinnati Bengals come to mind as one of the most morbid franchises in the NFL for the last 30 years. And the fact that Joe Burrow drafted first overall, you know, has his knee torn up last year as he's get killed with no protection, being sacked every three times he went back to come back the way he has done this year and to really put a team and a city on his back. And now he's in the Super Bowl in year two. I know we've talked a lot about Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes and a lot of the great young quarterbacks will move over. Because Joe Burrow is here, uh, and so are the Bengals in the Super Bowl, taking on the L.A. Rams, who've got a home game and open up at four points. I mean, what what did you think about what happened yesterday, starting with the AFC? Yeah, it's. Uh, I thought the Chiefs were going to run away with it in that first half, and then all of a sudden they forgot how to score points. Um, I saw that the Bengals started just dropping back all their uh, all their DBs in coverage, and Mahomes couldn't figure it out. I mean, you saw him, you know, dancing around behind the line. Uh, doing a lot of spin moves, but he couldn't find anyone open. And uh, crazy to me that in the second half, at plus overtime, I mean, what, they have like 84 total yards and only three points after they were up 21-3. Um, it's absolutely insane to me that they couldn't, uh, you know, put that finish on. And you do point to that missed field goal at the end of the half. 
And then again, at, in the fourth quarter, they were driving down, setting up a perfect game, bl- wasting the clock for that final punch in. And they couldn't get they couldn't get the ball in. The game was there. And um, I I'm, I'm find it hard to say Patrick Mahomes choked because you think about how good he was, but they didn't get it done on offense uh, in the second half. And in overtime, where they won the toss, I thought the team that wins the toss uh, well, wins the game. Uh, well, that's the crazy thing yeah. when you think about it. I mean, it, they had it all. They had the ball, like basically a guaranteed three points at the end of the first half. Hmm. They get the ball in the second half first. Joe Burrow threw a pick in the second half. You know, that was a chance. Um, and then they do what they need to do. They get it to OT and uh, win the coin toss and basically, you know, go. Well, it was, wasn't three and out. It was a pick, which basically was like a punt. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, it was a stunning win, but an incredible win for the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, what about the Rams? I mean, I kind of think that Sean McVay sometimes outsmarts himself. I mean, he made a couple terrible challenges. I mean, poor usage of timeouts. Um, but Kyle Shanahan seemed to one up him. And uh, man, the the missed the missed pick in the fourth quarter by Tart. I mean, that is one that's going to haunt the Niners for a long, long time. And uh, hey, credit to the Rams, they got it done—a three-point win. And now uh, they got a home game against the Cincinnati Bengals of all teams to uh, win. I guess the second championship for the Rams. Uh, but uh, the first one as the Los Angeles round. Really happy for Matt Stafford, um, even if he did almost throw a interception at the end. That would have tremendously helped the 49ers. But I mean, him and Cooper Cup, uh, Cup's been, you saw it, he's been the best one of the best players in the league, best receiver in the league. And he really uh, took over there. Um, so again, happy for them. They got this great defense. We know the Bengals give up the sacks. Um, tough one for the 49ers. You thought they were going to do it, but... Couldn't quite come up with the points there. Maybe that fourth and two decision to punt uh, might cost them. I, I'm not sure, but I've seen a lot of memes about Kyle Shanahan and blown leads there. Uh, had the chance, but I think the Rams were the better team. Two great offenses. I, I'm expecting a lot of points, although I was expecting a lot of points in that game and, and the under hit in the Chiefs, uh, Chiefs-Bengals game. So I, well, think, I think it's going to be two, two great teams. I'm really excited for it. The, we'll talk about this with Benny Heiss a little bit later on. The one thing that concerns me from the uh, for the from the Bengals side of things is just how good that front is on the defensive line for the Rams, led by Aaron Donald. I mean, I'm actually going to be looking. I might put a little sprinkle on Donald to be Super Bowl MVP uh, because he can make that much of a difference. And hey, this is the team that just a week ago gave up nine sacks. Chiefs defensive line wasn't good enough. They had some chances. Joe Burrow squeezed out of it and made it happen. But that to me is. Um, but again, like they somehow managed to survive the Titans getting sacked nine times. So mm-hmm. I'm not counting the Bengals out. I got to give a shout out to a Winnipeg Walter because Winnipeg Walter has been with us in chat. And I think I did just see him drop a who day in here. Uh, but there's not a lot of Bengals fans around. There's probably more today. <laughs> uh, and I'm sure the bandwagon will be growing up until uh, two Sundays from now. But Walter's been in here in the chat room every day talking about the Cincinnati Bengals. So, uh, Cheers to you, Walter. Your guys got it done. Uh, no cheers to you, Ryan Friesen, for popping in and doing more trolling in the uh, in the chat. Yes, we took an L, but you already took the L, and that invoice for forty bucks on that bet uh, will be sent to the uh, the your your people, and you can uh, you can let us know how uh, how that's going to be rectified. Um, 
uh, Remo, give us a quick update on uh, what the Bombers are up to before yeah. we bring Hammer in from Philly. Before we bring in Hammer, we do need to give a... There's a Bomber connection uh, in the Super Bowl. Uh, Zach Taylor, the Bengals head coach, Wild. Was, was on the Bombers practice roster and was the third string quarterback in the 07 Grey Cup where Ryan Dinwiddie started and the back was Cliff Kingsbury, the current head coach of the Cardinals. And I mean, all those three guys uh, are head coaches. Now Dinwiddie with the Argos and Kingsbury with the, with the, uh, sorry, cards, as I mentioned, and Zach Taylor now with the Bengals in the Super Bowl. So there is a bomber connection. And I see a lot on Twitter, Joe Burrow's dad as well played, uh, played in the CFL too. So uh, some CFL connections, the bombers, Signed Drew Waltarski, two-year deal. Haven't seen too many two-year deals, so he's back. But Kenny Lawler, leading receiver. Uh, he's received a contract offer from the BC Lions. And how the Lions what, would make him the highest-paid uh, non-QB? I think it was uh, Justin Dunk had it. It was like over uh, over 200 You know what I guess? If they're going to go with Nathan Rourke, a Canadian, yeah. on a much cheaper quarterback deal, uh, you know why not spend the money on some of the top receivers in the league? I mean, I couldn't believe the money they gave to Lucky Whitehead, um, but hey, good for Lucky to get it if you can for 220. And Farhan reporting 250k on the table for Kenny Lawler. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we'll ask Jeff about this coming up, but I don't think there's any way uh, that the Bombers are able to uh, to match that. One other big football story coming out of the weekend, and I don't know where it's at right now. <laughs> oh, but yeah. Jeff Darlington <laughs> and Adam Schefter reporting on Saturday that Tom Brady's done. He's retiring. It's over. Um, well, there's been some denials from the Brady camp. Uh, they've said, and he's told the Buccaneers that he's nowhere close to making a decision. Decision. Um, Schefter's still standing by his report, but like most of you, I'll believe it when I see the kickoff of the NFL season next year and no number 12 behind center for an NFL club. Um, but if it is the end, I mean... You know, an unparalleled career, one of the greatest, not just in football, but in any sport with the seven championship rings. Uh, all right. Um, Hammer is coming up in just a couple minutes. Looking forward to that. Hey, a big shout out to our friends over at F Apparel. Uh, of course, Winnipeg's finest purveyor of custom suits, um, as well as, uh, you know, all sorts of things. Uh, men's dress shirts, dress clothes, untucked shirts, chinos, pants, and more. Uh, not to mention ties, shirts, accessories all down at 180 Smith Street. Now, weddings are back. Uh, well, hopefully uh, come this summer. Um, and many of you have probably been putting off the big day, but if you are involved in a wedding, F has been Winnipeg's go-to for wedding suits for more than 10 years, fitting hundreds of wedding parties each year in affordable custom suits, perfect for any type of wedding, whether it's tuxedos, bold summer colors, shirts and pants for more casual events, even linen, for your destination wedding. Your wedding party will get 15% off your purses when you order a suit, shirt, and tie. And if you know someone getting married, F's the place to go. The custom suits start at $3.99, so there's no point in renting a suit for $300 from a big box store that doesn't fit, isn't comfortable, and you have to give it back at the end of the weekend. Pop down and see Andrew and the guys at F Apparel, 190 Smith Street downtown, or online at fephapparel.com. Um, Vita Health has a lot going on as we head into the month of February. And February is Heart Month. Stock up on your heart-healthy supplements and foods at Winnipeg's go-to spot for all of that Vita Health Fresh Market. If you can't make it into the store, you can visit the website or shop online at myvita.ca or schedule a delivery with Instacart. Uh, Vita Health has great prices on Winnipeg's best selection of natural and organic supplements, beauty products, and groceries. 
as well as some delicious lunch options like Vita Market salads, soups, sandwiches, and more. And you can get on the exclusive Vita VIP list by texting Vita VIP to 1-877-630-1970 to receive special offers all year long. And if you subscribe now, you'll be entered to win a $100 Vita Health gift card. Seven locations in Winnipeg, including the newest store in Linden Ridge, and online at myvita.ca. And of course, our friends at Culligan Water are hydrating the community, something that they have been doing as the go-to people for all things water-related for 65 years in Manitoba. Family-owned, the gang has so much for you, including water softeners, filters, bottled water coolers, whole home systems, and drinking water systems, not to mention the Culligan Man delivers water citywide and if you do have needs for a business commercial and industrial water products and solutions also ready for you over at culligan water give them a call at 204-694-5180 you can visit them at 1200 sergeant avenue or check them out online at drinkculligan.com all right let's head to the city of brotherly love and welcome in our guy jeff hamilton from the winnipeg free press on the road with the winnipeg jets Hammer, what's up? Thanks for doing this. How was the uh, how was the weekend in St. Louis? Just hanging out with Ric Flair and uh, the other stars of the WWE. Yeah, and and the uh, and the thousands of people that emerged into the city uh, for the event. That was pretty cool. It was I I, it, I finally had to take my phone out by the you know by the third time Ric Flair walked by me. Um, absolutely loves the attention. I mean, anyone that obviously, anyone that obviously, uh, you know, watches WWE or, or has seen his documentary. I mean, I've been removed from my days of of taking full advantage of the peep, you know, the uh, pay per view events, which I used to watch really, you know, religiously as a kid. Uh, there was a bunch of other wrestlers that I just didn't recognize, more modern stars, and then he walked in, and everybody just came to a standstill in the lobby, the restaurant, you know, completely, you know, bombarded him. And, and as I mentioned, he just loved every single minute of it. It was good. It was good. I mean, St. Louis is the third time I've been there. It was, uh, you know, obviously a good trip for the Jets, good trip for for me in general. And uh, it's cool to be in Philadelphia. I just spent the last three hours in an ice box, also known as uh, Penns arena it's it was absolutely freezing i went outside to warm up but uh, i'm feeling pretty comfy in the in my hotel room here and uh, ready to talk jets and all things winnipeg sports huts let's go well it's great to have you on the program thanks for doing that i mean i do want to maybe get to some bomber topics and a little bit more but let's focus in on the hockey team first i mean um i tweeted this out i mean that was just a huge win for all parties involved the players needed it the coaches needed it the fans needed it um and again it's just one win there's a lot of work to do for this team and a long ways to go um but it's got to start somewhere and in some ways, it sort of started with a Keystone Cops blunder by the St. Louis Blues running into each other. And, you know, only a little bit of luck going the Winnipeg Jets way uh, with the uh, the tying goal early on. But, I mean, to me, the stories of the game were Eric Comrie. I mean, a bit of a surprise start. Many people, myself included, expected it to be Connor Hellebuck. Um, and I thought a brilliant game for Billy Hainala, um when the team really needed it. But, I mean, you were there. How did you see it, Jeff? Yeah, I thought it was, uh, you know, I thought it was as close to the game that that Dave Lowry has been preaching since he took over for Paul Murray six weeks ago. You know, a lot of us didn't really understand 
um, or not that we didn't understand, but you, you kind of want, you kind of wanted to see what it meant to be fast and hard to play against. And we just hadn't seen that from Winnipeg, at least not for long enough stretches to suggest, you know, there was a blueprint there that they could follow. Well, I think they got exactly that in St. Louis. I think they, they focus on the defensive side of the game and, and the offense came along with it. Uh, you mentioned Eric Comrie. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, for him to come in, you know, play his first game since December 10th and, and stand tall throughout. I, I mean, I will say this. I mean, he wasn't all that busy through the first two periods, um, particularly that second. We'll get into the second in, in one second. But, um, you know, when they were protecting a two-goal lead in the third period, you know, he came up massive. I mean, a lot of those, I think, what did he finish with, 28, 29 saves or, you know, high 20 saves, uh, a lot of those came in the in the third period, and particularly in the final ten minutes of the game. And we all know, um, you know, how dangerous a two goal lead can be. And at, at one point in that period, it kind of felt like whoever scored the next goal was going to win. So if St. Louis cuts that uh, that deficit to one goal, you know, it's a it's a whole entirely new game. But Eric Comrie was up to the challenge. I thought Nate Schmidt was very. Uh, you know, very good in his post game and describing the way, you know, Eric played. He, he, you know, I think he mentioned a tendency for goalies who have been off that long to kind of, you know, he didn't use the word hyper, but, you know, kind of just get a little bit in your head too much, overplay some of the angles, you know, get a little bit all over your crease. And, you know, just the way he showed that poise and that patience uh, in the crease really gave a, a calming effect to the rest of the, to the rest of the blue liners. And, um, you know, Huss, I just realized that my, my, my headphones were not plugged into into my phone and not here. I'll fix that. Um, Eric Comrie. So, you know, just for him to stand tall and be as patient and as poised as he was down the stretch, you know, it had a trickle effect and, and certainly his teammates, you know, respect him a ton. And, and just to put in those performances, I think is going to go a long way because clearly, you know, there was a hesitance for there was a hesitancy for for it looked like for Dave Lowry to put him in the crease and then I think you know as you mentioned I think a lot of people were you know surprised or wondered why that game was against St. Louis in St. Louis right so for him to come up big that was absolutely massive but you know what what I thought was you know really the game was that second period I mean yeah the Jets scored twice um, that was, you know, to clearly to, to, to take the lead, the two goal lead, but, you know, to allow a St. Louis blues team at home to register two shots on net. I mean, uh, you know, you and I could have probably finished with maybe, you know, uh, two <laughs> saves there, maybe one, maybe none, but who knows? Um, but just, you know, being able to play that game, they, they really did suffocate the blues. And, you know, again, finally, finally look like, you know, what Dave Lowry had wanted this team to look like. And I know we really liked the Pittsburgh game. Um, you know, so if you look at that game and you look at the St. Louis Blues game, you know, as you mentioned, it's, you know, one game isn't going to change everything. And, and, you know, it's, you know, a loss to a, a Philly team that has been struggling, all, you know, all season and particularly of late, you know, a loss to them could, you know, we'll, we'll completely fit, flip the script of what was good. But it's certainly a, it's certainly a, a, a game that you can look at and say, OK, well, this team can play that way. Let's see it more often. We'll talk about the forwards in a minute. Um, uh, what did you see from Villy? I mean, he played almost 20 minutes alongside Neil Pionk, and they said this team's 2-0 and with Declan Chisholm in the lineup. I mean, I thought he acquitted himself well, and, of course, Johnny as well on the blue line. Uh, you know, what did you see from the the young, the moose guys getting their uh, chance to play with the big club on Saturday? Yeah, awesome. You know, and, and much like much like Eric Comrie, poise. 
you know, confidence. You know, I think Villy would have admitted and Dave Lowry had mentioned he hadn't had some great games. He didn't have a great game against Vancouver and, you know, wanted to, to you know, answer the bell and, and did that. Got the opportunity to bump up in the lineup and, and clearly took full advantage of it. And I think that's the kind of performance a lot of fans have been, you know, we've seen before in the past and we've seen with him, you know, play with the moose and the impact he's had on the AHL level. Well, you know, I, you look at a game like that and again, it's just one game, but it's, it's, you know, piling up this evidence that suggests this guy needs to be in the lineup. And, you know, with the injuries that they have right now, uh, you know, Billy is getting that chance and, you know, it's up to everybody, whether it's Billy Hainala or, you know, Johnny Kovacevic or whoever's getting the opportunity to get in, um, when they get the chance to get in, you got to make it tough on the coach and you got to make him not want to pull you out. And we've seen this with with Dave Lowry way more than we've seen with with uh, with Paul Maurice is that he'll reward that play. So let's let's see if that happens. And, you know, I mean, I you know, there was some opportunity for him to, um, you know, I think he rung one off the post. There was some, some of that offensive stuff. It obviously is quick uh, puck movement. He's a guy that you want on your you know, on your back end, and that's going to help with that transition game. If you want to be fast, as that's one half of the fast and hard to play against mantra that Dave Lowry's been preaching, you need to have that transition game be fluid. And a guy like Zilli Hanel brings that to the team, and and we certainly saw that against the Blues. So him, you know, Kovacek, Chisholm, like I thought, you know, I thought all all things considered, you know, there there's, you know, it's again, it's one game, but, uh, you know, it's a strong game. And to have that kind of be your blue line, I mean, Let's see if we can see more of that, and if we can, I mean, it's gonna. It looks pretty good for the Jets. Moving well, and speak and speaking of the blue line, I thought Nate Schmidt had a big, big game, and they really needed it. I mean, you know, we talked about the young guys. I mean, Brandon mm-hmm. Dillon, Nate Schmidt, Neil Pionk, um, you know, carried a big, heavy load and um, and came up big. And of course, having Schmidt in that shooting position on the power play um, certainly bore some fruit as well as uh, he got that. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see a little bit more. We'll talk about the forwards, one in particular in a minute, which we will get to. And I think there's plenty to discuss on uh, one center. But um, Pierre-Luc Dubois, monster game. And we talk about guys being engaged. Um, He not only is engaged, he is making it uh, miserable for guys that are having to play against him right now. Uh, I thought he was huge on Saturday afternoon setting up Kyle Connor and a big, big part of sort of setting the tone for a full 60 minutes for the Winnipeg Jets. Huge is a good word, physically, uh, literally and figuratively. I mean, he he was there. You you know, you isolate one shift in particular. He sets up Cole Perfetti in the slot. Cole can't you know can't score there, but then he finds Kyle Connor. That was all Pierre Luc Dubois. You know, deep in the Jets zone, and then and then from the literal part. I mean, this guy is you know, it's almost kind of like a superhero who looks and realizes how big he is, and you know, realizes the tools that he has that he can use, and. You know, he's just continued to do that all season long. And, you know, whether that game was another step or just another example of what we've kind of seen or, you know, come to expect now from Pierre-Luc Dubois and probably expected it last year. We, you know, we don't need to get into, you know, that season, but certainly a guy who's been, you know, one of the team's MVPs along with linemate Kyle Connor. So, you know, just a, you know, and, and, to, and, you know, it's interesting. I said this on the Kenny and Rennie show after it's just, it's so wild every time he says it, cause he says, he goes, I'm only 23. And you go, right, he's 23 years old, you know, and he's going to, you know, he's still working through some of the mental stuff, right? That consistency, you hear a lot about, you know, what, it, you know, what it's like to be a pro or, you know, learning how to be a pro. I mean, these guys have to learn about the ups and downs, not just when it comes to, you know, the on ice stuff, but, you know, upstairs, you know, and I think he's, he's certainly getting, he's certainly, he's certainly delivering this year in, in ways that, you know, I don't know if we would have guessed this year, but certainly would have hoped for if you're a Jets fan and, 
Um, you know, he's just, he's awesome. And, you know, and the other part too is he's kind of a, I don't want to swear here, but he's kind of an ass. You know what I mean? He's a, he's a, he's a real, you know, P word out there, if you will. Like he's just a, he's kind of like a quiet, sneaky, dirty player. And, and, you know, I, you know, I, I don't say that as an insult. I say that as a massive compliment because he, he's just willing to muck it up. And, you know, a lot of that is, it's not a Brad Marchand, like Marchand kind of deal. It's a passion driven, you know, engaged, as you mentioned, Huss, you know, result of how he plays hockey. And a lot of the times he doesn't need to swing because he's so big that he, he just, he's disruptive in and of himself, just the size of his biceps and body position. So, you know, I like that bit of nastiness to him. And, you know, maybe he is redefining what we, what we've come to expect is, you know, that physicality is kind of lowered in the NHL of a power forward. And I think he's exemplifying all of that and more. And, you know, it's a, it's a contrast, as you mentioned, I know you're going to get into, you know, Mark Shifley, but like this guy is driving the bus, you know, and he's, he's dialed in and he's saying the right things. He's a leader. He's, he's all these, he's all these different things that, you know, you knew existed, but it's coming out in, you know, in spades. And uh, again, if you're a, if you're a Jets fan, you got to be really happy about, you know, where this guy's at. And, you know, you know, he wants to be part of Winnipeg and, and all these things, right. He checks off all these boxes for for a great player. And um, whether it's the blues game or what we've seen all season, you know, I think it's a bit of a, you know, an unfortunate thing that he's not in the all-star game even. So, um, but at the same time, I mean, that's all kind of whatever players don't, you know, as much as they love to be recognized, I think they enjoy the time off too. So certainly, you know, lots to say, lots of positive things to say about Pierre-Luc Dubois and um, they're going to need him to continue to play that way. Dave Lowry said it after that St. Louis game. I mean, that's the way we, they need to, they need him to play every single game. So he's doing it more often than not. So it's a good start. All right. Well, let's move from Dubois to Shifley. A lot of talk in the chat about him. And it'll listen, two straight games where he's had his ass stapled to the bench for the final three, four minutes of the game. It was about five uh-huh. minutes, I think, against five Vancouver. Against Vancouver, yeah. And, and a very different scenario. I mean, you know, the Vancouver game was over. I mean, maybe you want to play the fourth liners, the third liners. That's fine. Very different story on, on, on Saturday in that, I mean, uh, a very careless play by Mark Shifley ended up um, creating a glorious opportunity for St. Louis at a time where, you know, I mean, this game was still very much um, not taken care of yet. Um, what did you make of the decision by Dave Lowry? And um, did, did he comment on that afterwards at all after the game? No. And, and I mean, that's probably on, on me because I think I'm the one report, one reporter out of this trip. So like, I just, to be honest with you, like to me, I think Vancouver was a little bit more, of an example of, you know, quote unquote, stapling his ass to the bench because they needed goals. Um, They were down 5-1 or 4-1 or whatever at that point. And, you know, they could have used a guy who is known for his offense. I didn't think it was as big of a deal. I'm not saying it's not significant against, you know, St. Louis, but the Jets didn't need a goal. They were protecting goals. And if you look at a guy who pretty much I was, you know, when I said Eric, Comrie was standing tall in the final, you know, whatever, 10 minutes of that game and faced a lot of the, of the shots, um, you know, that protected that lead and ultimately won the Jets the game, or at least secured them the game. Uh, the biggest one was probably Mark Shifley's cough up in his own zone. So, you know, I just, to me, sitting him down in the final three minutes wasn't a big deal because it made a ton of sense. So to ask Dave yeah, Lowry that about never sitting- happens. I mean, I guess well, that's it the never point. happens because you also had a diff. You have a coach with a completely different. I wouldn't say completely, but a, a different philosophy. 
You know, like you used to have, you, you know, maybe there's an expectation. Like I, I don't want to put words in Mark's mouth or, you know, in his head, you know, and w- what he's thinking or suggest what he's thinking. But, you know, clearly under Paul Maurice, he would be put out there to score an empty netter or to whatever. And I, I don't, I, I don't really know what the philosophy behind Maurice putting him out there was, was maybe to pad his stats or make him feel, maybe he's one of those guys that feels better when he gets on the score sheet. Um, and maybe he, you know, trusts that because the argument is you put a guy who can score goals like Mark Scheifele, he's going to hit the net, right? He probably has a better chance of hitting the net and an empty net at other guys. I don't know, whatever. I, I don't really follow that logic. But, you know, we've seen with Dave Lowry, I mean, a couple of weeks ago when he said, you know, everyone was talking about it. He said that he's going to play the players that deserve to play, you know, that, that are showing that they deserve to play. And, um, you know, he's backing up his, his words. So why would you put Mark Scheifele out there, you know, with three and a half minutes to go, uh, when you don't need another goal and you're up by two, especially when you had that, you know, that cough up, you know, moments before, minutes before. So I, I don't know. I, I don't put a ton of stock into there, but clearly there's, you know, I cl- clearly this is not, um, you know, a great stretch for 55. I mean, the points are kind of there. They've, they've dipped off in the last bit, but, you know, I, it just, whatever it is. I mean, I understand the frustration. I'm not here to defend 55. If you're on the Kenny and Rennie show, you know, we went, we went pretty much in detail. It was, it was in, a full Toth so, versus so, Westwoodian so, argument. Oh, um, and don't he, put it. No, no, I say, I say that. No, I say that because it was spirited. It was enjoyable. Except for you want, except for you wanted to keep the dial on. You didn't want to turn it off immediately, <laughs> but, um, but the, you know, anyways, moving on from that, it was, it was, you know, like it, it look, they need to get like they need to get Mark going, and how you you know Paul Maurice. We'll go back to Paul Maurice. Paul Maurice's philosophy of getting Mark going when he wasn't going was to continue to give him minutes that weren't deserving. And I don't think he's getting that with you know he's not getting that with Dave Lowry. Dave Lowry's putting out the guys like if you look at the way they practice, it's different. And I'm not trying to you know flip topics here but you know he's he bag skates the guys you know Paul Maurice never did that I mean he wants you know he, he wants guys to be tough to play against because Dave Lowry was that as a player Dave Lowry wasn't one of the most skilled players out there whenever you know I think in his mind every coach brings what they believe is an important philosophy to each team and what I think we're what we're seeing here with Dave Lowry is you know outwork out hustle and I don't know if that is something that Mark Shifley wants to do and I'm not saying Mark Shifley doesn't want to work hard I'm just saying for a guy who's not really like a you know like he's not a really a 200 foot player he's more offensively gifted maybe this is you know the hard way and again I'm putting this is speculative I'm not it's just what I'm you know what I'm gauging from you know his play and whatever but I think the fact of the matter is you know whether you want to pile on Mark Shifley or whether you want to prop him up the reality is is the Jets need 55 to be going I mean this is this is a big, big second half. And the Jets, yes, they're not, you know, far out of the playoffs. And there's going to be a lot of people that say don't push the panic button right away. And there's certainly some truth to that. But, you know, if you're just treading water and not, you know, you're not, you know, you're not catching up to those teams or putting in, you know, good runs, what's to suggest you're going to do that in the back, you know, back half of the season when teams have started to establish their games and, and play better. The Jets haven't done that. So, you know, there's a lot to be concerned about. And, you know, the reality is, is you need Mark Schleifley to be going. So whatever, whatever it is to be done, I don't get paid millions of dollars to figure it out. So I don't have the answer on what's going to get him going or what gets him ticked. But you know that he's going to have to figure something out because he's not going anywhere this year. 
Uh, you know, who knows what his future has in store. But if you're looking to get back into the playoff race, 55 needs to be a big part of that. And, you know, maybe it's convincing him to play the right way or to to feel like part of a team because there's lots of examples we can poke back to, whether it's Paul Stastny's comments or whatever, that suggest that there's a lot of guys that are pulling in a different direction. Um, and when you're not getting the offense with Mark Scheifele, you don't really know what you're getting from him. Well, I mean, let's talk about what he had to say on Friday heading into the game because, uh, I mean, you know, Kelly Moore asked me about this, and I think we talked about it because we sort of heard it live on the program when I was talking to Ken. And, uh, you know, Kelly said, well, honestly, I mean, what did you think about Mark Shifley? What did he have to, what he had to say on Friday afternoon? And I said, well, there was good and bad to it. I mean, the good, I guess I appreciated the frankness and the honesty, but the bad was like, are you serious? I mean, this is game 40. This is a coach that's been with you guys since the middle of December. And for one of your leaders, a guy with the A on his jersey, um, to say, you don't really know what the plan is. Um, and I mean, I think to me that's sort of on that's sort of on mark because it certainly seemed like many of the other players were getting the memo from Dave Lowry. Um, you know, I know you hit this on K and R. People should definitely go check it out. It was an extended version, shall we say, from Saturday. Very entertaining. I came in um, late. But um, but I mean, what was your reaction when you heard Mark Shifley say that on Friday when uh, asked about the team's identity, both the answer beforehand and then saying, well, probably not. Well, you know, if you take if you take the probably not and you isolate that, it feels like a shot against the coach because no, no, you know. But at the same time, there's maybe some refreshing honesty to it. You know, maybe he, maybe I believe that Mark Shifley believes that, and so you know why he believes that. I think that is the question to be asked here. In, in that, maybe he doesn't agree with the philosophy. Maybe he doesn't agree with with what they're doing to you know, quote unquote, get out of this hole or whatever it may be. But you know, it, it just when when you look at when you look at Stastny's, Paul Stastny's comments and you compare them to Mark Shifley's comments, the vibe I got from Paul Stastny was that, you know, he was kind of calling out the players and it felt more like, you know, almost like we have an identity. We're just not doing the right things to establish it. That was my takeaway from Paul Stastny. From Mark Shifley, I felt like it was more like an indictment of it or that it was non-existent. And that, you know, when you when you don't have an identity, the coach's job is to instill an identity. So I felt like it was, you know, and I'm, and I'm not saying that necessarily he was taking a shot at Dave Lowry. It just, to me, that's how it came across. The other thing, too, is, yeah, is Paul Stassi a better communicator than, than Mark Shifley? Absolutely. I don't think Mark Shifley has a lot of time for the media, whereas I think Paul Stassi has more time for the media. But the reality is, is Paul Stassi is doing more work out there so his words carry a lot more weight. When Mark Shifley's saying those things, then you compare it to his play, they fall a little more hollow. So there's lots of different elements that come into play here. Um, but you're right. I mean, that, look, I think it's one of those things that, you know, maybe 55's getting an unfair shake here. Maybe there's too much attention being put on Mark Shifley when there's, you know, we know that this is the 23 guys on the roster. There's a lot of things at play here. The Jets aren't winning and losing necessarily because of 55 we just know they could be doing a lot better when we know they do a lot better when he's when he's going so you know dissecting his words and what he could be thinking or what he might be thinking or you know whether it's a shot against Dave Lowry or maybe he didn't even listen to the question and he kind of you know whatever there's lots of things at play 
The reality is, is everyone needs to get better. Everyone needs to be playing a system that, you know, they're comfortable with and the Jets need to figure things out here. And because Mark Shifley is so important to the team, that's why he warrants so much attention. If he didn't warrant, if he wasn't such an integral piece to this organization, we wouldn't be talking about him here. We wouldn't be continuing to talk about him. Like fans wouldn't be upset with his play because he's that big piece of the puzzle. It's just, I go back to my earlier comment, regardless of how you feel about Mark Shifley, he needs to, you know, he needs to feel a part of this. He needs to be a part of this if the Jets are going to do any damage in the playoffs. But, you know, again, I'm not saying it all falls on him. We saw that, you know, with a game that against St. Louis, they were able to beat St. Louis. But for long-term success, you need to have 55 pull in the same direction. Um, and again, it's up to those guys in that room, whether it's the players, coaching staff, whomever, it's their job to take care of it. And it's, you know, I'm going to say time's running out, but we're hitting the midway point. The Jets are on the outside looking, and I don't think anybody thought they'd be here in this position. No, I mean, and, and you know, make no mistake about it. I mean, this is condition critical. I mean, the playoff, every time this team goes out and plays a hockey game right now, I mean, they have to be thinking about getting two points and staying in this playoff hunt because, I mean, it's not like they're chasing one team. There's about five teams that are, you know, in that mix or above them to get to that point. And, other teams are picking up points right now. So that's why that was such a big win. And you're exactly right about Shifley. I mean, I, I listen, I think it's very fair. I mean, I think he's been a centerpiece for this hockey club for a long time. He got an eight-year contract. We can talk about how much he's making or whatever. But the bottom line is, when you invest in a player like that and give them that much responsibility, you you need to have a player that is engaged and doing you know the things that everyone else is doing. And... You know, just to compare the comments, I mean, I think Paul Stastny's comments reflected the accountability they needed from the players. Um, and to be honest, there wasn't a lot of that in what Mark had to say on Friday. And, you know, again, no one will care. No one will even talk about it if he goes out and plays the best that he can and is engaged not just in the offensive zone, but also in the defensive zone. Um, but if you have, you know, stretches of lackadaisical play, if you have, you know, giveaways or just, you know, not a level of commitment that everyone else is putting in, it's going to be a topic and it's not unfair. That's what happens in pro sports when you're a centerpiece of a franchise like Mark Shifley has been in Winnipeg for the duration of his time here. Certainly. And I think there's an added element when the guy's got a letter on his chest, right? I think that's something that we're Absolutely. kind of we're ignoring here is that he's part of a leadership group, right? And, you know, people are pointing at the leaders being guys like Kyle Connor and, and Pierre-Luc Dubois, neither of which, you know, are, have that. I mean, look, letters on the chest in the, NA, in the NHL come in a variety of different ways. You know, they, they don't need to be the raw, raw guy. But, you, you know, if you're, not, if you're not doing the speeches or whatever, and it's hard to do the speeches if you're not backing it up with your play, there's just a little bit of a, you know, the expectations are a bit higher. And when you see a guy who, you know, look, I'm going to speak on behalf of the entire, you know, Jets fan base, but the vibe that I get is they just want a good effort. You know, they want a good effort, you know, night in and night out. I've heard that year over year over year that, you know, win or lose, they want to see them put in a, a solid effort. And I just, I just don't think you're seeing that with, with, with Mark right now. We've certainly seen it over the years, but, you know, he doesn't, you don't need to be a defensive juggernaut or you don't need to be. I mean, Connor McDavid is not, you know, unbelievable on defense. He's often used as the example in these kind of situations. But he's absolutely incredible when it comes to offense, and he turns games on its head. And I've said this on your show and others in the past. It's just you're seeing less dominating performances. And so maybe that's just getting into the fan psyche, and, and that's the beauty of this. I mean, that's the beauty of these shows. I mean, we, we talk about them, and, you know, we debate and whatever. But, you know, you're also right, too, in that 
you can flip the script pretty easily. You know what I mean? Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> he, he comes out and tucks a couple goals against the Flyers, and then it's the other faction of the fans that go, oh, pretty quiet guys on – you know, pretty quiet voices on 55. Shut your mouths and stuff like that. And then he lays an egg the next game, and those guys fight back. I mean, the reality is that's just professional sports in a, in a nutshell. So, you know, we talk about these things because, you know, they're important to the team and important to the Jets' overall success – um, but, you know, it'd be fascinating to hear from Mark. And I just, you know, it's one of those things where you can ask the coach, but Dave Lowry's not going to, you know, pile on 55. And, and Mark's not, you know, Mark did talk the other day and he's talked about his his season. I just, the other thing too is the one thing I learned about Mark when I did a profile on him years ago and talked to his family and really got in depth into kind of who he was is he's the worst loser. Self-admittedly, he hates losing. So, you know, I think there's, you know, probably playing on his psyche to, to be like this. He's had a lot of success and not just collectively as a team, but individually. I mean, ever since that's, you know, I wrote that story, he was on his rise. Mike, you know, Babcock was saying that he was, you know, among the best centers in the NHL. He was talking about wanting to be in the same conversation with the likes of Sidney Crosby and Connor McDavid. And everyone was believing that he could be that. And so I think with him and even in the, you know, in the ensuing seasons that followed, he, he was a point per game player he was in the all-star game he was a lock to be on team canada all these things and then fast forward to this season and the narrative is this guy doesn't belong he wouldn't even be a 13 forward on team uh, uh, team canada he isn't scoring you know a, a point a game or he isn't lighting up the net like we used to so there's probably a lot of internal stuff for him because well here I just say this he's a competitive guy obviously yeah well yeah. And, and listen this is why i think this second half of the season is going to be so fascinating and there will be such a spotlight on mark shifley because I was the one talking all summer about going into this season, how I was expecting to see the best Mark Shifley we've ever seen this year because of the opportunity of representing Canada, the Olympics. And I don't think there's very many people that watch the Winnipeg Jets over the course of the first two months of the season before everything was basically canceled that thought that he was playing his way on the team. Frankly, most people, myself included, thought that it was the opposite. If he was on it, he wasn't on it by the time we got into December. And then the other part of it, Jeff, is that, you know, he's been the number one center, unquestioned go-to guy for this club for a long time. And now all of a sudden, Pierre-Luc Dubois is showing up and playing the way that the Jets hoped that he would. And he's being pushed for that role as well. And I mean, to me, what I, I think what everyone that, you know, cares, wants the best for Mark and the best for the hockey club, hoped that this was going to bring the best out of him. And it hasn't. And I mean, we're now at the halfway part of the season. We talked about what he had to say on Friday. But I mean, that was somewhat of a damning indictment about where he is right now in this season, considering the challenges that he's had and what it's brought out. And I'm not sure what's going to happen over the course of this, you know, next week with the team being off. But going into February, we all know if this team's going to get on a roll and get back into contention for a playoff spot, they're not doing it without Mark Scheifele playing near the top of his game. And to me, that's basically what it all comes down to. But, I mean, everything seemed to be set up to get the best out of Scheife. And as of right now, I think it's been quite clear that that hasn't been the case. And it's not like he's been terrible. I mean, he's still putting up some points. But, you know, for a guy, especially for a team that is looking to try to, you know, get that identity and have everyone pulling on the rope the same way, I mean, you want that to start with the guys with letters on their chest. Yeah, certainly. If you want to add another layer to this onion, we've talked about this way before, back when Pierre-Luc Dubois first got picked up. But who's to say that 
that trade, obviously a big, big, you know, a big move of Patrick Laine the other way wasn't to wasn't to help soften the blow of an inevitable leave by Mark Shifley. I mean, this is a this is a fact. Mark Shifley feels underpaid. There's absolutely no doubt about it. And he'll want more money for his next contract. And I don't know if the Jets can afford it. And so you pick up a guy like Pierre-Luc Dubois, and he's, I think, the next guy in line. I think they're maybe bracing to lose Mark Shifley and don't think for a second that isn't go that didn't go through through uh, you know, Kevin Sheveldayoff's mind when he acquired Pierre-Luc Dubois, a centerman. Because the reality is, if you lose Mark Shifley when his contract's up in a couple of years, you don't have that top centerman. I mean, Cole Perfetti might might very well develop into a strong centerman, but you do, you know, you kind of start from step one. And so, you know, the Jets are are sitting in a situation here where they needed to play, you know, look towards the future and have a backup plan. And, you know, I don't know if they would have known how good it might, I don't even know if that's the word, because I think they would absolutely love to have the, you know, the, the numbers 1A, 1B tossed out between Dubois and Shifley because both of them were were peaking at their games and both of them were playing. Oh, yeah, you know, that's the best-case scenario for absolutely. the Winnipeg Jets, having those guys both playing at a high level and, you know, you know, bringing out the best in each other and having for two sure. dominant sure. lines in your top six. Because we know top centers don't grow on trees and the Winnipeg Jets do not attract top centermen uh, and they don't pay top dollar more often than not. Um, you know, to get them. So that, to me, picking up Pierre-Luc Dubois was exactly addressing whatever concerns you you had with Mark Shifley and whether or not he'd be here. Because you know in his next contract, he's not only going to want to get what he deserves, but if he's staying in Winnipeg, he's going to want to get what he lost. And I'm not saying he's going to get all of that, but, you know, that's that, that I think, is playing in his mind and all this. And I think the Jets are, are, are acutely aware of that. So it does soften the blow having a guy like Pierre-Luc Dubois in the mix and, and whatever. But, I mean, again, like, it's just – it's one of those things where, you know, we're piling on Mark Shifley. And Mark Shifley is the – if you look back at it, Mark Shifley was the first-ever Winnipeg Jets draft pick. I mean, he was the golden boy. It's just – it's so interesting how you can go from – you know, the penthouse to the doghouse, but, you know, I'll reiterate it again. I sound, you know, I sound like a broken record, but you really do have the power to flip the script with, with a good stretch of games. And, you know, and, and whether or not that happens sooner or later, there's going to be a break here. Maybe, maybe, maybe Mark Shifley needs a break. Maybe everyone on this team needs a break. I can certainly say everyone on this team needs a break because of the restrictions, you know, all this stuff in Canada. And, you know, you know, I have a hard sell on that, but it's all relative, right? Put yourself in their shoes. Um, it's just, you know, again, I don't have the answers on how he's going to get out of it, but clearly he needs to, and and we'll see what happens here. Well, and just to your point, and we won't belabor this, but um, you're exactly right on Dubois and, you know, how this fits big picture long-term for the Winnipeg Jets. And, I mean, that was a big part of, you know, the conversation that we had a couple months ago, um, you know, with the concept that maybe Mark Scheife is not untouchable anymore because I do believe that if the Jets come to the decision – that for whatever reason they don't have the want or they don't have the ability to sign Mark to the contract that he's going to want and need. This contract is too valuable right now, and he's too good of a player to lose him for nothing. And at that point, you have to start thinking whether it's in the offseason next year or going into the final year of the deal, maybe to make some sort of a move to get assets to come in, whether they're current players, whether they're picks. Um, because you don't want that walking out for nothing because that leaves a big, big hole. Jeff Hamilton's with us. Hammer, before we go, um, 
want to quickly ask you about some CFL news. I mean, we're getting into this tampering uh, period. Kenny Lawler, 250K offer from the British Columbia Lions. I mean, it was inevitable that some players on this championship team were going to get some good offers if they weren't signed. We know where the priorities were for Kyle Walters. Um, what, what did you think of that? And I mean, were you a little bit of sticker shock when you heard what was being thrown around from the guys on the West Coast? Uh, yeah, I mean, leading the CFL in receiving yards. And, and Kenny Lawler proved last season, you know, he can make big plays. They, you know, he, he's a guy who goes up and, and gets the ball. He can fight for it. He made some great catches throughout the season. And again, led the league in, in receiving yards and was, a, was a, certainly a key piece to the Bombers' offense. Um, but I will say this. This period, until he signs that contract, I'm not buying it. We saw this all like there's not one. If you look at this legal tampering period, I don't think there's one example where a guy went and, and signed a deal that the team quote unquote promised them. These are just like CFL is such a crazy league that this is just like, you know, maybe they want to pay him. And your points earlier before I came on, you know, remain true in that because they have, you know, Nathan Rourke as their starter under a very, very team friendly contract. They can go out and sign Lucky Whitehead for $220,000. They can go out and sign Burnham that with if he reaches his incentives can will make as much as 180 and I guess they have the money to go out there and and sign Kenny Lawler to a $250,000 deal. But until that happens, I'm not buying it. Like I just I think it's I think it's a lot of gamesmanship. I think it's a lot of, you know, tossing this out because he wants to get a high-end deal from Winnipeg too. But I'll tell you what, Winnipeg ain't paying Kenny Lawler $250,000 to be a receiver on the club. Like, you know, I, I mean, and, and, but the thing is, is Kenny Lawler is a West coast guy. You know, there's a lot of talk about him wanting to go out that direction and whatnot, but you know, if, and you got to make the money. We all know how short careers are. I just, when it comes to these kind of reports and whatever, and I'm, you know, I'm not taking anything away from Justin Dunk. He knows his things. He knows his stuff for sure. It's just what exactly is the point behind all this? And why are you paying a guy? Why is he making more than Willie Jefferson? Like no one, like, I mean, you'll hear every single GM. I thought Lucky's was crazy. Like Lucky's Oh, me too. I don't think Lucky plays all season next year. You know what I mean? He's not a big guy, but the thing is there's, why I justify his contract is he's not, he's a dynamic receiver. He was a, he was like a dead man in Ottawa. He changed games with massive plays. Like Lawler never did that for the bombers. Like he came up big and made big catches, but he wasn't going 75 yards, you know, touchdowns every game. He wasn't returning kicks for touchdowns and missed field goals for touchdowns. That's an added, that's a, that's a bonus. You know, when you, when you start adding up the, you know, start adding up the money. And so, I don't know. Like we'll, we'll see what happens again. I don't think the bombers even come close to even, you know, I don't know. I not even close. Like they're not even in that conversation. Like I'd be surprised if the bombers gave him over two. like, I just, it just doesn't make any sense. Everyone knows that if you're going to build a contender, it starts on, it starts in the trenches. It starts with building your offensive line and your, and your defensive line. And if you're, if you're the BC lions and you're tossing out massive amounts of cash to receivers, I hope Nathan Rourke has enough time to throw it to those guys or, you know, whatever the, whatever the situation is, like even with the quarterback being a, you know, even with, even with like Nathan Rourke is not a proven commodity. He, yeah, he, he had some glimpses last year that were, that were strong, but guess what? 
Teams have tape on Nathan Rourke now. We've seen this time and time again where a guy has a great season and then kind of comes back to earth the next year. So if he, you know, and this is Mike Riley, but in a whole different view, a whole different situation for the BC Lions. So I guess they'll enjoy another season without playoff football and the Bombers will find another Kenny Lawler and, you know, Woltarski, you know, is it, he signed today. They got a good group of receivers and they got a good O-line, a good D-line and a good quarterback that will make a Kenny Lawler. So that's kind of my take on all that whole stuff. Uh, well, Tarski signed today, and uh, I'm sure there'll be more work and more announcements from uh, the Bombers coming up over the next few days. Hammer, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for joining us from Philly. Uh, we'll look forward to uh, all of your reporting on uh, the Jets' final game before the All-Star break to begin the second half of the season. And uh, we'll see you back here in the peg when uh, you get get here. Travel safe. Yeah, thanks a lot, Hus. Thanks for having me on. And as always, thanks to the commenters. I never get to see it, but uh, give me the gears. You know, agree with me, whatever. It's you guys run this show, so we'll just bow down to you. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. There he is, Jeff Hamilton, at Jeff K. Hamilton on Twitter. And you can check out his work in the pages of the Winnipeg Free Press. All right. We will talk about the demise of the Chiefs and the Bengals Rams getting into the Super Bowl. But coming up next, we're going to get into a little soccer talk. Canada beating the United States. Uh, before we do that, uh, a big shout out to our friends over at Manitoba Battery. Pop by on uh, Friday afternoon. Saw Donnie, Kimbo, and the guys. Just a great group down there. Uh, Manitoba Battery, of course, at 1026 Logan. Remains the premier stop for all your battery needs. In Manitoba, most automotive, automotive batteries are priced less than 100 bucks with Core Exchange, or they'll deliver it to your door anywhere in Winnipeg for 115 on the same day you order it as long as you order by 1:30 p.m. And for all you ice fishing enthusiasts out there, I know some of you diehards rode through the cold snap, but the weather should be a little more more enjoyable moving forward for everyone to enjoy some time on the lake. Manitoba Battery has the flasher batteries you need to keep you catching fish for the rest of the season. Of course, sleds and snowmobile batteries as well. Get on down and see Donnie and the gang at Manitoba Battery for all your battery needs. You give them a call at 204 uh, 783-8787 or see them online at manitobabattery.com. Uh, our friends at Royal Sports are, well, they will be ready for the Super Bowl. Not sure how much Bengals gear is left and that uh, Rams gear, but I imagine there'll be a run on it. Of course, you can get it at Winnipeg's True Sports Superstore over at 750 Pemina Highway. Thousands and thousands of uh, pieces of Jets merch, including many exclusives. And of course, all the Winnipeg Blue Bomber Championship gear as well fitness section, running, hockey, snowboarding, and so much more, not to mention all the cool stuff over in the Kings skate, snow, and surf side. And give them a follow on Instagram as well at Royal Sports Pemina for the latest merchandise drops and great deals over at Royal Sports at 750 Pemina Highway. And, uh, you know, we're getting into uh, February. Many of you guys kind of dealing with the roads and maybe dealing with an older car. If you're thinking about getting into a new vehicle this year, Start your search with our friends over at Not Auto Corp. Why not get into the car of your dreams at an amazing price with the help of the Not team? Incredible vehicles on the lot. And if they don't have what you're looking for, they'll help source it out. Get it here to Winnipeg for you at the best price possible. Go see them at Waverly and McGilvery or uh, start online over at not.ca. All right. Uh, highlight of the weekend had to be Canada's win over the United States in the World Cup qualifying yesterday in Hamilton. Our buddy Coolback Chris was there. I know J.D. Bunkus was there. I was very jealous. Uh, but, man, it was great to see Canada beat the Yanks. 
and stay on top of the table. Let's uh, get to it with Steven Sandor, one of our favorites on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Longtime soccer journalist, Steven Sandor. Double S, <laughs> how are you, man? Yeah. What a, what a yeah, win. I think- I think we're all living in dreamland. I think at some point we're kind of expecting to wake up from this. Uh, but no, it's it's a yet another, well, heading toward a, a perfect qualifying window with six points in the first two games and El Salvador left. But pretty well, for all intents and purposes, Canada has, has done what it has had to do. And will do it likely with several games to spare in qualifying in terms of qualifying for the world cup um but yeah i can think about uh, what plans you're going to be making uh either if you're going to be going to qatar or going to be up at three in the morning we're going to be putting a lot of all-nighters watching this uh, canadian team play in the middle east in in, in november it, it is um i mean it really is one of the great sporting stories in a long time in our country and frankly it's been a long time coming put into perspective maybe just give us your thoughts on the canada's win yesterday how they got it done, and uh, where does that win against the United States, considering the stakes and where we are in the World Cup, um, you know, uh, stand amongst the, the biggest in the men's national team's program over the last number of years? I think it shows so much in this program that you could be missing your best central midfielder in terms of Stephen Yastakwio, who was out with COVID. You're missing Alfonso Davies, who's out with the heart conditions, the after effects of COVID, even though you wouldn't know it if you watched the videos of him cheering Canada on and you're thinking, boy, you better be looking after, better be looking after that heart, Alfonso. <laughs> um, um, the, uh, but to be without those players and to still kind of win comfortably against the United States, yes, the United States had more of the ball, um, but really possession stat in soccer is maybe the most overrated, overstated, overused stat. It is the worst coursey stat in soccer, if I can use an analogy. That means nothing. Um, the 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 fact is Canada won very comfortably, and it shows the incredible amount of depth that's in this program that we're still kind of or putting out an effort that beats the United States team, as I said, comfortably. I mean, Kyle Lahren, Pashita scores a great goal uh, early in the first half. Uh, and Sam Adekubi, who has just rocketed into a new level of play over the last six months. He plays in Turkey. I played in Norway before, so he's told me personally this cold weather doesn't bother him at all. He goes, I played in Norway in minus 15 in Tromso. Um, games that were colder than we play in Canada. So he said, I, I'm, I'm good. And he seems to be just really relishing it. And he's been just an absolute linchpin for the Canadian team. Um, and the goal he scored to wrap it up. What a, what a, what a beautifully constructed individual effort. But just this group, the togetherness, you can just feel it. And it goes from the fans, it goes into that core group. Um, and again, even if you if you haven't watched Alfonso Davies's TikToks of him watching the game from home, um, and just seeing the kind of enthusiasm that everyone is carrying for this program, but this Canadian team is so deep. Even missing those two guys, I said the check marks is still better than the United States at the fullback position. Still better than the United States at the striker position with Laird and David, and far better than the United States at the goalkeeping position with Milan Borian. And again, we talked about Davies and his homecoming the last time they played in Edmonton and beat Mexico and Costa Rica. Milan Borian in home and at home in Hamilton in front of his hometown. And what a performance he's he's been putting on. And 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 just Canada is a deep team. It's not just about one or two players carrying a program. This is about a generation of players that is now proven, I think, that they're the best in CONCACAF. And significantly, we have to stop talking about competing 
or trying to be as good as Mexico or the United States. Right now, folks, we're better than them. We are better. And that's something we, we that I think we're also wrestling with, like just kind of like <laughs> what's happened in a good way, but it's it's we're better than them. You mentioned Numberland Borian. And I mean, I look back to the game on Thursday um, or Thursday or Wednesday, whenever the game was last week, uh, up one nothing, And he makes that brilliant save before Canada got the uh, insurance goal. Um, and then there he was. We were in the captain's armband yesterday, as you mentioned, a bit of a homecoming for him. Um, you know, we always talk about Davies and the guys that are scoring the goals. How important is the guy in the net been for Canada? I just think that he's such an emotional presence as well. Um, it's not just about the saves that he's making. And yes, it was. A, and yesterday he made the huge save off the corner kick. Uh, I think right before the end of the first half um, to, to keep the you know, game at one nil at the time. Um, but he gets so emotional about what he does. And he just seems to be a leader on the team. And I go think back to Edmonton after the win. And, you know, in the freezing cold, you think that players are going to be looking to get right after the game into a warm environment. And he's leaping into the stands to celebrate with fans, um, you know, and, and he's just that sort of man of the people that people love. And and track pants, come on. You wear track pants in that? <laughs> You're already a winner in my mind. <laughs> yeah, one of the greatest athletic achievements by a guy wearing sweats of all time has been the Milan Borjan story. Yeah. Yeah, someone asked me on Twitter yesterday, they said, where can you get pants like Milan Borean? I said, like, winners? <laughs> <laughs> Steven Sandra with us talking about Canada's big win over the United States. They are at the top of the table with four games to go. Uh, not quite, but pretty much start making those reservations and bookings for Qatar in November. Steve, this team has stunk for three decades. What was the turning point? Well, I think, you know, it's not a turning point. This is a long, arduous process of trying to rebuild the soccer program in Canada. Now, mind you, there are there are some wonderful sort of coincidences where you have a couple of exceptionally talented players who tend to be born around the same time in different parts of, or have come to this country at different times um, and the same age. Um, you know, there's certain things you can't coach. You can't coach some of the, the talent that Davies and David have. Um, definitely. But as well, I think, you know, this is a lot about building the program, you know, being more professional in the way that we approach bringing uh, or up, bringing up our soccer players, how they're coached at a youth level, that it's not just considered a recreational babysitting kind of thing that you put your kids into and that everyone's happy because games end in a tie. Like, you know how they used to always teach us how soccer was? That, you know, it was like the ultimate, like, anyone can play a game, but, like, it's everyone's happy because the game finished 2-2 and everyone goes home and has oranges. You know, oranges it's, at it's, halftime. That's what exactly. it's all about. So now I think it's, you know, that, that competitive streak has, and it's taken a long time. It's it's taken it's taken a while, and I think it was almost a little bit of a quiet revolution that happened kind of underneath. There's still a lot of problems in the game, and I've talked about it. And I've talked about it with you and and lots of other people about falling registrations and falling participation. Because yeah, some of that stuff is definitely like a lot of sports are wrestling with. A lot of kids are are being driven out of organized sports, and we have to. That's a huge huge thing that we. That's the next big hill for us because like we want this to be the thing that inspires the next generation of kids to play um, just like we would in any sport. But this group is, is special. And what you're hoping is that they can create a bridge and it's not just a one and done like generation. You see this sometimes in soccer where you're like, wow, remember when we all thought Iceland was going to be so great for a long time. And now they've gone <laughs> back to being like Iceland uh, in soccer. Like sometimes it is a generational thing. You have a couple of players that come up. They just happen to be together or close in age and they make a huge difference. And then once they 
age out, the program goes to kind of being back to, you know, you, we got to make sure that Canada doesn't get to that point. And, and, you know, the job that John Herdman has done as a coach, first with the women's side and really, you know, pushing them to that world-class level and with the men's side now, um, you know, people are now starting to talk about John Herdman, you know, and it's a little bit scary maybe for Canadian fans, but I've seen discussions on international media sites and stuff because, folks, Canada is starting to get attention around the world. This story about Canada being undefeated in qualifying, being the highest scoring team in World Cup qualifying is starting to get attention around the world. And it, and it you know, also helps that you have players like Davies and David and Estacquio playing for some of the bigger clubs in Europe. And... You know, people are starting to talk. Could John Herdman, you know, I saw a story in England yesterday. Could John Herdman be England's coach one day? Well, like, let me ask you this because, yeah, you know, it's funny, it's funny you bring that up because the Joe Buccini just hit me up on Twitter knowing that you were coming on and uh, asked me to ask you about, you know, Herdman's contribution to this, but also wondering what his current contract status is with the CSA for, I'm pretty sure, exactly the reason you just mentioned. John is the... I have, don't know of a renaissance man more in soccer than I've met or in any sport. I'm talking hockey, uh, football. In my life of being around coaches at a high level, and, and you know, I, I do a lot of volunteer coaching myself, and I sort of take some of the lessons that he's passed on um, because he's so different. Um, he's very much a thinking man's coach. He's, he's you know, he, he's, he's a motivational yeller, but he's not like, you know, come down fire and brimstone coach. Um, but like he's makes players read philosophy books. Like one of the things that he did with women's national team was that he made them read Victor Frankl, who's a very famous Austrian Holocaust survivor, uh, reading his, his works on philosophy. He talks to players about what they're reading, how they are sort of mentally preparing. He's so big on the mental part of the game. This is the guy that before the Edmonton games brought in Phil Jackson to talk to the team about you know what it's like to play in a big moment and he goes and it goes outside of soccer to other sports and he uses those friendships so it's like you know if you don't want to believe me about motivational play in the big moment here's the guy that coached jordan right and this is phil jackson mr guru of basketball and he talked about never forgetting to play the game like don't get over it don't get swept up by the moment and that's what phil jackson talked to this team about so he he is so big on mental preparation and he is so big on sports science and he's so big on understanding that you, the way that you have to prepare is different now for athletes with the pressures and whatever is on you. And he is very much encourages his players to be thinking people. He is not the kind of, um, he breaks a lot of stereotypes we might have about sporting coaches. Ted Lasso, he is not. <laughs> what about the contract? Like, how long do we know well, that we've got him, and, and what would I mean? Well, we're supposed to carry, he's supposed to carry us through this qualifying cycle, so you know he's he's here. This was his, you know, he made that move that he wanted to move from the women's program to the men's program. He basically forced Canada Soccer's hand at the time and said, like, you know, if you want me to stay, I want to go and, and try to turn around the men's program. And they accepted it. And there were a lot of skeptics at the time because there were a lot of skeptics, whether, you know, you call it sexism, whether you call it what have you, who didn't think a, a coach who had primarily made his name in the women's game could make that break over into the men's game. Uh, different, you know, different philosophies, different ways of, you know, you're going to a program that's not dominant in, 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 in their region to a program from a program that was. And he's kind of proven all the critics wrong. 
you know, anyone who's who said that the, and, and I think he's actually paved the way for a lot of coaches to say that I coach soccer. It doesn't matter if it's men's or women's soccer. I can coach at a high level at both levels. And there's, he's, he's erasing that line to show that you can, mm-hmm. can move between sports and, 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 or move between women's soccer and men's soccer. And I think that's really important. I think there's a lot of things he's done that have been very, very important. And, uh, you know, honestly, the, the work, you can't argue with the results, can you? I mean, in the end, it's a results-oriented business, right? Totally. Like coaching, you, you look at the record, and that's all you're going to say. Hey, they're four points ahead of Mexico, four points ahead of the United States with, like, four games to go. Not only are they going to qualify, they're likely going to win this group. They're well, speaking of top. that, let, let me ask you that because I tweeted this out yesterday. I mean, uh, you know, coming off the win, enough about just talking about being there. I mean, let's win the whole damn group. Um, fill, fill people in that aren't familiar with the World Cup qualifying. Um. I mean, first of all, you got to get in. What are the advantages of being the number one team overall, other than the fact it would be a huge moment for Canadian soccer? I, I, I how think, does it affect the World Cup itself? Well, I think it's more how it affects your world ranking going into, and then that can affect the draw at where you're seated, right? A little, you might get seated a little bit higher, get out of pot four, where you know you have that danger of maybe in the World Cup being drawn against two superpowers. Even though, mind you. I would love to see Canada have that challenge. I, I would like, you know, now this is time to start talking about it's time to see how this team would play against a France or an Argentina or an England in a game. I would like to see how that matches up. Um, and, you know, we're going to get that chance pretty soon, likely. Um, and as well, finishing top of the group starts, you can start getting invited to better things like the Copa America, like, you know, where it might be the South American team, say, when they have their guest teams or when they have the, the competition come together, they're going to say, hey, we normally invite Mexico and, and sometimes the United States, but this time we're going to invite Canada too. So you get to come down and play, you know, Brazil, Argentina, um, Colombia, and, and those teams. And, and as well, when it affects, it, it also affects, um, you know, again, your world ranking of how easily your players can get passport or, or work permits around the world. The higher work the higher your world ranking, the easier it is for countries to make that argument, hey, you know, we need to sign this Canadian guy to play in England or to play in Germany or to play in Italy. And it, you know, it creates more opportunities for these guys. And I think this is, it all opens up for a country when you start getting that world ranking high. So, I mean, the world ranking points for beating the States and beating Mexico over the last, you know, few weeks is going to be huge for this country. And it's going to be huge for this program. Um, but I think it's turned everyone's heads as well. Like it, Where are it, we it, at right the now? world is looking at us. Yeah. We're, I, I, you know what? I wish I could like, it, we, I know we were the highest mover in the last ranking. We moved the highest and now we're, you know, the highest that we've been in, you know, I don't know forever, uh, but you know, we're, I think we have a chance to be top 30 at some point. And, you know, that's, and then the world cup you make, Hey, you get some results. But I, I think the bigger question is, is instead of just talking about getting to a world cup with this group that we have, like, let's face it, the United States and Mexico are not teams we ever expect to be eliminated at the group stage of a World Cup. When they get there, we expect them to get to the 16 or to the U to the 8. So if Canada is replacing them as the best team in CONCACAF, should we have expectations of a final 16, final 8? Is that too much on this group because they haven't been there yet? Or maybe it's an advantage because they are such a young and exciting group. You take a look at the pedigree of some of the other teams that I think are going to be there. I'm like, they're not going to have quite the same pedigree of players as Canada does. Certainly, we're not going to, you know, on paper be better than an England or a France. But certainly, I think some of the South American teams would, 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 have a, would have a hard time rating against us. And a lot of the smaller European sides would have a hard time rating against us. So I think, I think we have to start thinking about bigger picture 
uh, about about where this team can go. I mean, again, people are trying to talk all around. And this is the bigger thing that I don't know if Canadians understand. This is getting attention around the world now. People are starting to look at us at this and say, this is one of the best stories in the entire world of soccer right now. This Canadian team that is not just winning games, but winning games kind of easily and banging in goals. Like they, they are right now the top scoring team in World Cup qualifying. So this is an exciting team. And you've seen the highlight real goals. They're not, these, some of these are like goal of the year candidates that, that yeah. these guys are putting up. And it seems that they're just, just pulling a new one every game where it's like, it's just for fun. Let's do this, do this one. Like Sam Adekubi's goal running down, the, you know, and cutting in and then running down the pitch and slotting it in the corner. It's just another fantastic thing. And Jonathan David's goal, I don't know how you control that pass. I don't know how you do that and then chip the keeper on their second touch. That's just like fabulous. But it's just it's just amazing to watch these two guys wear the Maple Leaf doing it. Well, and I mean, I still think about that <laughs> that goal that um, Davey scored in, in the qualifying earlier on. That I mean, that's the fastest human being I've ever seen in my life. I mean, outside of maybe Usain Bolt. It's crazy. Steve, if you could... Set up, uh, so, I mean, there's one more game during this little window. Uh, it's El Salvador on the road. Canada technically could, with some help, clinch a spot in the World Cup. It's unlikely because that would mean uh, a USA losing at home to, I believe, Honduras. Um, but just set the stage for these final four games and um, what's at stake and what you expect from uh, our men's national team. Yeah, that USA game against Honduras are playing in, in, in St. Paul, Minnesota, and it's going to be like minus 20 or something like that. So oh. that's going to be fun for them. But yeah, it, they're, they're hitting that cold front that we're getting. Like, hey, like they get the same weather we do. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like, so you may as well play Winnipeg in January, playing in, 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 in the Twin Cities in January. So that's where they decide they're going to play. And they said that that was sort of going to be their thing. But um, but Honduras is already eliminated, so they might have nothing to play for. Um Canada goes to El Salvador, a place that's traditionally been tricky for Canada. But you know what? They've gone to so many places that traditionally been tricky for them and been fine. Um, I just think they're on such a roll right now that you would say it would it would be kind of amazing if they didn't get a result. But at the same time, you know, I said at the start of this, if they got five points on this window, it would be fantastic to me qualify. They've already got six. Um, if they got to nine, they might not mathematically qualify, but basically – them not to qualify like everything would have to go wrong they'd have to like lose all three games the next window including a home game to jamaica who's going to be already eliminated and also everyone else would have all the other results would have to go against them like like i think what's really interesting in, in this group is that the united states and mexico are only a point ahead of panama now uh, in that battle for second, third, fourth. And now second and third also get into the World Cup automatically, but fourth has to go into an intercontinental playoff and 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 have extra games and what have you to go go there. And you know, Canada plays Panama last in Panama. And that could be a must-win game for the Panamanians and it could be very bad for the Mexicans and Americans. And the thing is Canada might be like in a situation where it's like, yeah. Yeah, we don't need to send anyone. Like we could send our kids. Like to can we could we we're done. Like you know, we might not. We might. And again, this is part of building your relationships with other with your clubs, right? Like it's like if you don't need to use Davies because you've already qualified, you send them home to or you send them to back to Bayern Munich. So sort of like we're not going to risk an injury, not make them go, we're not going to make you stack. Please just gone to Porto, 
So it's like, let's, let's, let's keep them happy. And you keep those relationships with your club strong. So when you need those players, you, you judge, you always juggle those politics as a national team coach, especially now with the money these guys make that, you know, if you don't need the result or what have you, sometimes you're like, yeah, we can send the guy home early or say like, he's got a hamstring tweak, but he's really just fine. You're sending him home early. But the, that, that could be an interesting one that Canada has a role to play with possibly making the United States or Mexico's lives more miserable down the road, or maybe, you know, helping them out. Um, you know, I, I, John Herdman and Greg Bearhalter, the American game coach, they're actually fairly close. I don't think anything to harm the Americans chances. In fact, they, they talk to each other to help each other with scouting reports on the other teams. They both kind of in this thing that we'd like to both get in there together because um, it's good for soccer North America for both, you know, in, in the world cup. So I don't think we do anything to harm the Americans chances. Cause I, I do think that bear halter and, and Herdman are quite close. Well, first things first, they got to get the job done. One more game in this window against El Salvador. And then, uh, you know, a number of three more games, including Jamaica at home, uh, all but a fait accompli. We are getting ready for November. Sandor, thanks so much for doing this. Uh, hopefully we can uh, chat again when it is official and uh, we'll have a lot of time to get ready for a trip to the Middle East and Qatar in November. Yeah, or or yeah, or yeah, all night viewing parties at three in the morning when these kickoffs are going to happen. So yeah, it'll be, uh, yeah, it'll be just something to speak because it'll be hard to get to Qatar. I think we're seeing all the hotel availability or lack of it, that it's, it's going to be hard for fans to get there. So I think there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be, you know, celebrating this from far away but it's i think there's gonna be a lot of red eyes at workplaces in november um well i think there's gonna be a lot of red red everywhere in november because this is going to be uh, one of the biggest sports stories of the year in canada and i think um you know uh, you know a seminal moment in the history of uh of soccer in this program at least on the men's side the women have been doing all the great work and all the winning over the last decade and uh now the guys are getting into it double last thanks for doing this man we'll talk to you soon all right everyone go get your track pants Oh, man, great chat about a great topic. Very exciting for Canadian soccer fans whose legion numbers are growing by the day. Big thanks to Double S, Stephen Sandor, for joining us today on the program. Uh, hey, a big cheers to our friends over at Little Brown Jug, finishing up the month of January. Still time, well, today, to uh, take advantage of that uh, free pint offer with a purchase of $40 or more down at the tap room. Of course, and take advantage of the free delivery offer as well. We'll let you know tomorrow about what's coming up for the month of February. But in the meantime, you can get Winnipeg's favorite beer, the 1919, the new anniversary Brute IPA, or all the incredible Little little Brown Jug favorites in the winter variety pack at your local beer store or downtown on William Avenue. If you don't want to leave the house, hit them up at littlebrownjug.ca, fill your order, and they'll deliver it to you citywide. Of course, Little Brown Jug, official sponsor of Winnipeg Sports Talk on William Avenue and online at littlebrownjug.ca. All right, Scotty's well underway. Let's get into our Princess Auto curling report right now um, and a pretty great weekend for uh, for the Manitoba teams. I can tell you right now, as we do this show live, Kerry Einerson is putting a uh, licking on Alberta's Laura Walker right now. 7-2 in the sixth end for Einerson and Team Canada. And Mackenzie Zacharias representing Manitoba. The Young Guns, they've got a 4-3 lead on Ontario. And they are with Hammer in the sixth end. This morning, though, an absolutely crazy game. 
between Rachel Holman's rank, of course, without Holman, skipped by Emma Miskew, going up against Tracy Fleury's team without Tracy Fleury, skipped by Aslina Nagovin. And uh, this was a bizarre game, folks. Manitoba gave up four in the first end. They came back with a three spot in the second, then stole one in four and five, but then gave up three in the sixth and then came back with a five in the top of seven. The flurry rink moves to three and one on the back of an 11-9 wild win against uh, the other wild card team, one of the two other wild card teams, Emma Miskew. So let's check the standings right now. In Pool A, New Brunswick is out with a 4-0 and record so far. Then is the flurry rink at 3-1. and one. Um, Barker from Saskatchewan, the McCarville rink, are two and one and miscue the wild card rink at two and two a Winnipeg native Chelsea Carey representing a wild card rink out of Regina at one and two over in pool B Carey Anderson the defending champ is up at three zero and uh the uh, Manitoba girls Mackenzie Zacharias well former girls now they're the women's champs uh, they just dominated the junior level um they are uh, playing phenomenal on the verge if they can win this game to uh See Carrie Anderson up at the top of Pool B with a 3-0 and record. Of course, the uh, tournament continues on TSN all week. And uh, we'll be doing some special Princess Auto Curling reports and hopefully getting a couple guests on from Thunder Bay um, as a part of our coverage all week long. Of course, Princess Auto, proud curling sponsor, sponsor of the Jen Jones rink, heading off to uh, try and win another gold medal. And Princess Auto is the place where you'll find the best deals on the most unique assortment of tools and equipment around. Everything you need to complete the projects on your list or start something new is at Princess Auto. Pop by and see them at one of two Winnipeg locations or shop online 24-7, 365 at princessauto.com. And I know a lot of people popped by BP yesterday. The lounges were busy Saturday as well for the Jets game. Um, you know, there'll be a little bit of time before we get some more football. But of course, tomorrow night might be a great spot to uh, check that one last Jets game before a week off for the All-Star break. Of course, Boston Pizza, famous Boston's Wings, Gourmet Pizzas, Ice Cold Schooners. And if you want the great taste of BP delivered to your home, check out their great game day deals and more at bostonpizza.com and simply order online. All right, we got to get to it. We talked about it before, but uh, shocking collapse by the Kansas City Chiefs yesterday. To the Cincinnati Bengals. The Bengals are going to the Super Bowl and they're going into SoFi Stadium to take on the LA Rams. We'll be playing at home. Let's break it down. Everything that happened on Championship Sunday in the NFL with our guy Benny Heisler and KC. Oh, okay. We'll get to uh, Ben Heisler in just a second. Just about ready to bring him on. Uh, Benny, of course, met Ben. A few years ago on Radio Row at the Super Bowl when he was with 610 Sports in Kansas City. Um, bit of a great group. Carrington Harrison's now doing the drive show there. Danny Parkins is now the drive guy on 670 The Score in Chicago. And Benny is the uh, managing editor behind Bet Sided. And um, they'll have a ton of betting content going into the big game on Super Bowl Sunday. But two weeks to get ready for that. I think following week will really focus in on the game. Uh, but it looks like, um, well, we're going to get Ben in just a second. Uh, just having a moment bringing him on here. Um, but anyways, Ben's been a great friend of mine and uh, a great guy to talk about things in KC. Uh, I know many of you have been giving it to me in the comments, and deservedly so. 
that was a uh, that was a choke job by Kansas City. And you know, considering how clutch they were in the final two minutes of the game against the Bills a week before, um, almost unfathomable. I don't know if any of you guys were on CoolBet or on any of the other uh, sites, but I would have loved to have known what the Bengals were live odds down 21 to three in the first half. I mean, it probably was like 25 to one, 50 to one. I mean, I don't know if you could have made a number high enough uh, for people to jump on it. Uh, but Joe Burrow don't care. And I'll say one thing about Joe Burrow. The guy is just so damn cool. And I know there's been some comparisons to, you know, Tom Brady. Um, you know, they certainly came from very different uh, routes to the National Football League. Brady was a sort of sticks around pick. Joe Burrow was first overall. But when Joe Burrow started his his final year with LSU uh, as the starter, I guess the one year he was a starter, he was thought to be about a sixth round quarterback. Um, listen, he rewrote the record book in the SEC, had that incredible season, won the national championship, became a legend down in the bayou, and uh, then was drafted first overall by the Bengals. But the season that he had, while brilliant, uh, ended early with his knee getting torn up after being sacked repeatedly by a terrible offensive line. Um, and then it didn't really seem like they addressed the offensive line in the draft. They went and got his old college teammate, Jamar Chase, and drafted a kicker in the fifth round. Well, those picks are looking pretty damn good right now for Winnipeg Walter and all of the other, uh, all the other fans of, uh, of the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, and I'll tell you what, I mean, being a guy from Winnipeg, yes, you all know I'm a huge Chiefs fan, so I was devastated at the way they lost. That is going to be one that'll take years to get over, considering what was at stake and how it all happened. Uh, but I'll tell you what, if it was going to happen to any team, I mean, who hates the Bengals? I mean, I guess maybe Browns fans, um, but this is a team that it had in a city that hadn't had a lot to cheer for for the better part of three decades, and Joe Burrow has come in and... Uh, you know, done something that no number one pick's ever done. Gone to the Super Bowl in his second year, and it really is an incredible story. That being said, on the other side, you got a pretty damn good Rams team that um, you know came up big when they needed it in the fourth quarter and came back against the San Francisco 49ers. In some ways, a pretty much a reversal of what happened the week in week 18, um, where the Rams were up 17-0. And the, the Niners playing for their playoff lives stormed back in the fourth quarter to win the football game and um, and extended it, you know, through wins in the first two rounds all the way to a 10-point second-half lead. But Kyle Shanahan probably kicking himself for not going on that fourth and one-and-a-half in the fourth down. And uh, number three, was it Tart? I mean, the dropped interception in the fourth quarter. Um, absolutely devastating play for the San Francisco 49ers. So... Two very likable quarterbacks and Matt Stafford, who's finally getting to the big game, and Joe Burrow, who has completely transformed the Bengals franchise. Uh, we won't have Mahomes, and we won't have Jimmy G in the Niners, but it should be a heck of a Super Bowl matchup coming up a week Sunday in SoFi Stadium. Rima, how are we doing here? Yeah, Ben's all set. He's good to go. All right, let's uh, let's get to it. We'll recap uh, Championship Sunday with my guy Benny Heist down in uh, Kansas City. Always love talking NFL with my good friend Benny Heisler, who is the managing editor for BetSided. You can see them on uh, Twitter at BetSided, and of course, check out the site online. Benny, what's going on? Uh, what's what's the mood like in KC today? You know, it's funny, Hustler, because it's actually a glorious day in in Kansas City today. We're we're talking about like. Mid 50s to low 60s Fahrenheit. It's just I got a great view, sunshine out, not a lot of wind. People are, are outside, but 
but secretly people are just they're miserable today they they can't figure out what the hell happened from yesterday uh everybody is just kind of down in the dumps and I think what's what's been fascinating about it is for the last you know handful of years since the moment Mahomes won the MVP um, and had taken Kansas City to to four consecutive AFC Championship games now all at home. I think there's a slow building sense that these guaranteed Super Bowls that they all had these grand door visions of. Um, is going to be a little bit more challenging than they initially anticipated. The conversation even last year was Brady versus Mahomes, goat versus baby goat. And I think you're starting to get a sense that maybe this baby goat conversation may have been a bit too premature and whether or not you need to start thinking about Mahomes in sort of this different stratosphere than where he was before. Maybe it's a bit too overreactive, but it's certainly an interesting twist from, from where things were even a week ago in the 13 second comeback against the bills. Yeah. It, I mean, I, I'll agree with you on all of that. Now, again, you know, you come in and do what Mahomes did. I mean, it's the greatest start to a career in NFL history. Um, you know, you set the bar that high, you raise expectations. Um, and for good reason, that being said, you got to finish, you got to finish the game. You got to finish the season. They weren't able to do it last year against the bucks in the super bowl. Um, and they weren't able to do it yesterday afternoon at Arrowhead, despite starting off looking like that Chiefs team that steamrolled over everyone when they're playing at their best. They were up 21 to three, Benny. Where right. did it all go wrong? And who holds the most blame? Because certainly Mahomes owned a lot of it afterwards. I think Andy Reid certainly holds some of it as well. Um, lots to go around, I guess, in KC. Uh, busy on the, for the boys on 610 today, I'm sure. Yeah, very busy indeed. I, I think if we're having the question about the blame, um, you know, that play at the end of the first half where there was about what three, four seconds left on the clock, uh, it was sort of that screen to Tyree kill behind the line of scrimmage. Um, and he just got stopped by Eli Apple at around the one or two yard line. And normally Tyreek is fast enough to blow by anybody. But uh, in that particular situation, they got it to him. He got stopped. And then Mahomes tried to call a timeout, which he didn't have. Um, to me, that puts more of the blame on him in that particular spot. Because as the quarterback, you need to know down distance and the amount of timeouts you have left. That's that's starting 101. You you have to know that situation. And we gave Tom Brady, you know, a bunch of crap the, a couple of years ago when he was, you know, looking at the camera in that game against the Bears, going, you know, fourth down? Don't I have fourth? Isn't fourth down here? No, it's the same thing has to happen. You need to be aware of that situation. You cannot let the clock run out without you getting any sort of points. And that's exactly what happened with Kansas City. Mahomes also told Andy Reid he wanted one more shot. And if you're Andy Reid, more often than not, trusting your quarterback in that spot is the right play. So it's hard for me to, to put that one solely on him. But Mahomes needs to know the situations. But that that was the moment, Hustler. Like they were, they scored on their first three possessions. They marched down the field. Uh, they did it with big plays. They did it with uh, long, sustained drives. And for whatever reason, and I, I joke a lot of times about you know momentum in football. No, it's it's about talent outplaying other talent. Something inevitably changed in that moment that gave the Bengals some life. You can make the argument it was when Samaj P. Ryan got that long touchdown run. Uh, but Kansas City was right on the door of going back to that big lead again, and they got nothing for it. So I, I think to me that was a defining moment because from the moment that second half got started, the Chiefs were flat. Um, 
Mahomes made some mistakes. They didn't take advantage of opportunities. There's some bad penalties. Just everything that you had seen them not do for so long um, in a playoff game, I should say. Um, it just all, all came back to unfold. So that was when everything really started to go on and unwind. Blame-wise, I, I still think Mahomes gets the brunt of it because I think, like you said, the expectations matter. And he's elevated himself to where we can look at him and say, we expect greatness out of you because you've shown greatness more consistently than not. But last couple of years, you know, running for his life in the Super Bowl, that one's hard to put on him. He, it seemed like he didn't trust his offensive line because he kept on moving, kept on trying to find something. But there were plenty of times where he could have just thrown the ball away, maybe taken a sack. Um, he had plenty of time to throw. The offensive line was not the issue, but he was acting yesterday as if the offensive line was the one from 2020 and not the one from 2021. Well, it's a great point. And, uh, you know, I'll give a ton of credit to uh, the Bengals coaching staff, the defensive adjustments they made. Um, the first half, they were getting absolutely torched. Um, they had no stops with the exception of, you know, the play at the end of the first half. The Chiefs get the ball to start the second half, which often is a death sentence for teams with the Chiefs having it at the end and then getting it the old double dip. Um, and all of a sudden we saw them rushing three guys and putting eight guys into coverage. And it almost seemed like the Bengals were daring the Chiefs to run the football. You mentioned how much more improved the offensive line was and they didn't take it. And that's playing with an 11 point lead. Um, and to me, that's a big part of, you know, both Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy and their role in this. I mean, what do you make of the way the Chiefs played the things that they tried to do, considering the way the Bengals had shifted up their approach to stopping them in the second half? I think it was an all too common theme for a lot of NFL teams this year is inability to adjust an offensive game plan to changing and evolving defenses. I'll give you a perfect example. Like the Chiefs started off that drive in the second half, right? You know, it's a six yard run from Jarek McKinnon. Goes right up the middle, easy gain. Then Mahomes has a short pass to Byron Prangle. They get a first down. Second play, first down, down run. They get four yards. And then it's pass, pass, pass again. So it was like, okay, it's first down. We can go ahead and, and give the running play a try. And they get themselves into, you know, a shorter down and distance. But then, you know, it starts to become a little bit more predictable, you know? Next time, four-yard pass and a nine-yard run. So they get the first down. First down, they go right back to the run. It's a four-yard run. So they're, they're getting solid averages, but then it's more incomplete passes, incomplete passes, and they're just left trying to figure out sort of what their identity is. Next play, Patrick Mahomes' seven-yard run. It, it's not as if they didn't run the ball. It's they didn't stay with the run. You know, it's like the... Like the line from Seinfeld, you know, about the, the car reservations, like, you know how to take the reservation. You just don't know how to hold the reservation. That is the really <laughs> the most important part of the reservation is the hold. They, they knew they had to run, but they just didn't do it after just sort of that initial time where it had been successful. Uh, um, defensively, uh, listen, first things first, credit to Joe Burrow. I mean, what a stud this guy is. And, you know, when you think about where this team was when they selected him first overall just two years ago, Ben. Last year, they almost got him killed, and his ACL got torn, and he missed the season. And then I'll hand up. I was one of the people that thought they were idiots for taking Jamar Chase and not going with the tackle to protect their franchise quarterback. And hell, they won a game where he got sacked nine times last week against the Tennessee Titans. 
it doesn't seem to matter what you throw at this guy. He is unflappable. And the way he led the team back, I mean, there's a lot of credit to go around, especially the defense, as we mentioned. Um, you know, they're not winning the game if they don't stop the Chiefs the way they did in the second half. Um, we've talked a lot about, you know, it was Brady first, and then it was Mahomes. And, oh, Justin Herbert's here. Um, Joe Burrow has stepped up, and he is, you know, one of the superstar quarterbacks in the league, authoring an incredible story for a city that has not had a lot to cheer about when it comes to their football team for the basically since the 80s. Yeah, and, and we're forgetting one key element here, Hustler, and that's uh, this is somebody that suffered a gruesome uh, ACL, MCL, PCL injury middle of last season. And the narrative surrounding Joe Burrow entering the start of this season was, you know, is he going to be comfortable enough? You remember those conversations? He didn't trust himself early on in the process. Shy. Right. And, and, and here we are now taking this Bengals team that had won, I think, a combined six wins in Zach Taylor's first two seasons. They're over under this year was six and a half wins out in Vegas. <laughs> You know, and now they're a Super Bowl team. They were 150 to one to start the year at, at most sports books and from the consensus line. So it's a remarkable story. In fact, you know, we were looking up and researching over at Betside, um, you know, some of the different angles that we wanted to, to, to dive into today. The one of the other teams in NFL history that's not only gone on to play in the Super Bowl, but also win a Super Bowl at 150 to one odds or better, the 99 Los Angeles Rams led by Kurt Warner. And now, or not the Los Angeles, I'm sorry, the St. Louis Rams, but it's still a Rams team that at one point won a Super Bowl coming out of nowhere with a, a quarterback that took team by storm. And now you have it sort of playing out in a different parallel 23 years later with the Cincinnati Bengals. It's the, the, the Burrow aspect is fascinating to me because I've heard from, from more than one, from more than one person that the moxie and demeanor is very much relatable to Brady. And I get it because it's, it, there's a, a quiet sense of confidence. He's not really a rah-rah guy. Like he's a lead by example, tough it out, make the right play. Like some of those opportunistic chances where the Chiefs had a chance to wrap him up in the backfield and they couldn't do it. And then for him to trust that surgically repaired knee to go ahead and extend drives for first downs. I mean, that that's not really Brady-esque, but it's tough and it's inspiring and it's hard not for any other bangle to see that and want to run through a wall for this guy. But I, I think that's an interesting comparison. Certainly he's got a long, long way to go and we're not going ahead and, and putting Burrow in that conversation just yet, but, but from a demeanor and a leadership perspective, um, it's certainly interesting to hear those two names being thrown around in similar circles. Well, hey, you know what? The guy's a winner, and he's a big game player. We saw it at LSU, and we've seen it throughout this season, and especially in the playoffs as the Bengals are going to the Super Bowl. Um, they're going to be playing against the Rams and Matt Stafford. What did you think of the NFC game? I mean, the Niners up 10 points in the second half against a team that they've beaten six times in a row going back three years. And Sean McVay making some terrible challenges. I mean, poor use of timeouts, and yet they still got it done. The Rams seem to win um, a, a number of games, and the last two games, frankly, um, despite a number of self-inflicted um, issues that could have cost them, and yet they got a home game to win it all. Yeah, and, and there are some things that that I learned, too. Um, uh, Matthew Stafford has been the number one quarterback in the NFL against the Blitz, and the 49ers only blitzed him six times. but Normally, you know, when you don't blitz Stafford, that's where he makes mistakes. 
That was not the case last night. This is from NFL Next Gen Stats. He was 24 of 29 without being blitzed for 254 yards and two touchdowns. And he was rapidly efficient, took advantage, he checked down when he needed to. And there's an aspect about his game now that is is really starting to evolve. He was he was always known as a guy that could lead fourth quarter comebacks. In fact, he leads the NFL since he came into the league and comebacks in the fourth quarter. The problem is that he'd been doing it on a, a dog crap team for how many years in Detroit, and so nobody really cared. The interesting part is that Kyle Shanahan, who has you know oh, oh, this wide variety uh, of leading the way in NFL offense and efficiency and adapting the the run game with all these different new concepts um, and sort of variations of his dad's West Coast offense. Um, he has now allowed the largest comeback in a Super Bowl, the largest fourth quarter comeback in a Super Bowl, and the largest fourth quarter comeback in a conference championship game. Defense still kind of matters a little bit, and the Rams showca- showcased that last night. You're right about McVay. Like, there's, there are some issues there, but the, the one thing that you cannot go against him is that those guys play extremely hard for him. And I think if, you, if you're a head coach now, you know, all these different teams are, are looking for the next guy. You don't necessarily have to be the offensive genius uh, or the defensive genius. You just need to be the guy that's involved and accountable in all of them and then hire really smart people to really focus in on that area. Because right now, some of those decisions that McVay is making, it's, I think it's because he's overloading himself a little bit on the offensive side of the ball. But they're buying in and they're playing for him. And he's gotten guys on that team that were malcontent and upset where their current situations come to L.A., uh, and put some really solid tape on the field. And I, I think that's a fair number right now over in Vegas. They're a four-point favorite against the Bengals team that um, you know, still has some flaws, and, and Burrow has brought them out of it. But from a talent standpoint, I, I think this number is right. Well, you know what? Just before we go, I was actually going to actually ask you about the number opening at four and the Bengals are a plus 165 money line underdog. Uh, you said that the number makes sense. Uh, I imagine you'll be hitting this... Uh, every which way on bet sided for the next couple of weeks before kickoff at SoFi. Yeah, we'll be covering if we thought that, you know, maybe seven or eight stories today is, is going to be enough leading up for the next two weeks. No, it's going to be plenty of conversation uh, each and every day. I, I think that this game is actually a fascinating spread because I, I do think from a talent discrepancy, you have to give it to the Rams. Um, but Burrow five and zero in his career so far, um, straight up as, as an underdog. And um, I, I think I have to sort of go through what that exact number is, but I think especially as of late, uh, Burrow has delivered in those underdog situations, especially during, you know throughout the postseason. But um, I, I kind of see this game going, you know, one of two different ways. I, I, I think the way that I see this, um, Hustler, is that the, the Rams remind me a lot of, of Tampa from last year going and get a chance to play in their own building, outstanding defensive front. Like they should dominate Cincinnati in the trenches. They have a far better pass rush than Kansas city does. And I, I think last year you saw Mahomes try to do whatever he could to avoid the rush, avoid the pressure, make plays on his own. And it just wasn't going to happen. I think the similar thing is going to happen to Joe Burrow two weeks from now. I, I think Aaron Donald's going to be absolutely relentless. I think they're going to get after him. And, and even with more playmakers than anyone can dream of in Jamar Chase and Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, Joe Mixon, um, it's 
awfully tough to slow down somebody like Aaron Donald and Von Miller all coming at you. And they're going to generate a lot of pressure and Cincinnati's not going to be prepared to handle it. So I like the Rams in this game for now. Of course, Burrow can convince me one way or another that I might change <laughs> my mind at some point. But um, yeah, we'll have plenty, plenty of coverage uh, over the next two weeks leading you up to make sure that all your props are ready, all of your plays are ready, uh, anything else, coin flip, uh, you know, Gatorade odds, national anthem, whatever you need. We'll, we'll have you covered on that. Yeah. Check all the content out for the next couple of weeks over at BetSided. Follow them on Twitter at BetSided. And of course, give my guy Benny a follow over at Benny Heist. Ben, thanks so much for doing this. Uh, I am a Joe Burrow believer now, begrudgingly looking forward to the Super Bowl, even if the Chiefs won't be in it. You be well, my friend. All right. You be well too, Hustler. Always great to catch up. All right, big thanks to Benny Heist for joining us today on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Uh, it'll take a it'll take a day or two to get over, but we will move on. In fact, you know what I might do to cheer myself up tonight? What could be better than maybe a blizzard from our friends over at Nick and Nikki DQ? <laughs> <laughs> I think it might be a time for a blizzard. Maybe some buffalo chicken fingers, an ultimate grill burger. Um, of course, you can uh, get all those delights at any of the four Nick and Nikki DQs. They've been such wonderful partners of ours with us since day number one. Uh, you can support them by going to the DQ in Niverville, DQ Northgate, DQ at Polo Park, or the DQ St. Anne's, which is now open year-round, uh, as well as offering the folks in St. Vital the great taste of DQ via Skip the Dishes or Uber Eats. And if you are thinking about uh, maybe ordering one of those world-famous DQ ice cream cakes for your next gathering or party, hit them up on Instagram at DQ Manitoba. They'll get it all custom-made for you and easy for a quick and fast pickup at any of the four Nick and Nikki DQ locations. Uh, hey, big month for our friends over at Canadian Club coming up this month. Of course, the official uh, sponsors of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. February Big month at the Manitoba Liquor Marts. Uh, displays going up in stores tomorrow. Huge month-long sale on Canadian Club, including Canadian Club Original, CC 100% Rye, and CC Classic 12-Year. Sale begins tomorrow. Look for the displays in your local Manitoba Liquor Marts location. All right, let's get to the cool bet lines for today. Um... Man, I, I had some bad beats on the weekend. Will Zalatoris, 34 to 1 to win the Farmers, blew it at the end, lost in a playoff. That was a heartbreaker. And needless to say, the Niners NFC future and the Chiefs Super Bowl future went up in flames yesterday afternoon. So back to the grind. We can tell you the Super Bowl line is out. The Bengals are four point underdogs playing against the Rams. Rams minus four at home in the game two weeks or a week from Sunday. Um, the National Hockey League tonight, we've got three games. The Panthers are a big minus 303 favorite in Columbus. Uh, Canucks and Blackhawks. Canucks minus 103, Blackhawks minus 114. And actually the same numbers for the Ducks and Red Wings. Ducks minus 103, Wings minus 114. Edmonton, now winners of four in a row. Andrew Kane got a goal in his first game playing with Connor McDavid on Saturday against the Habs. They're in Ottawa to take on the Stens. Minus 196 for the Edmonton Oilers and plus 165 for the Ottawa Senators. In the final game, 630 start as well. Leafs at home, minus 333. Devils plus 270. And uh, of course, Scotties. We'll bet it's the place to bet the Scotties if you'd like it. Four matchups tonight. New Brunswick, Saskatchewan, Nunavut, Northern Ontario, PEI, 
and Emma Miskew's wildcard three team and Chelsea Carey's wildcard two against Newfoundland and Labrador. And the futures are up right now as well. You can bet group A. Keep going back to cool bet throughout the week for the latest on the Scotties. Um, great show today. Got through it. Uh, and you know what, Remo, get it back in here for a second. I'm just going to say, you know, and I mentioned this at the start, you know, coming on the day after this devastating Chiefs loss reminded me of coming on the day after the Chiefs lost in the Super Bowl last year. The good thing about this year, as opposed to last, is that uh, there will be a show tomorrow. I personally yeah. <laughs> guarantee that I will be showing up tomorrow with you to do this program because, of course, infamously, that show where I had to take my licks for the Bucks domination of the Chiefs in the Super Bowl was the morning before we got the text message of the conference call that they shut our station down. So that was the infamous final show ever. I remember saying to Rick at the end of the program, well, I've licked my wounds. We're on to next season. I'll be back tomorrow in a better mood. And uh, the good thing is tomorrow, Remo, we actually will be back that's a guarantee here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Yeah, we'll be back. Uh, Confirm Scott Billick will come on. We'll talk uh, talk Jets with with Scott. Um, you know, one bet, Huss, you didn't mention. Uh, you didn't mention that you won on the weekend. Was it Riddle to finish what top three in the Royal or top four? Top in the, four in the Royal four. Rumble. Yeah, we had our two. We had our two top fours: Braun Breaker at seventeen to one. He never even went in the Royal Rumble, uh, and Riddle, um, who I'm a big Matt Riddle. That's guy. pretty good. Yeah, it was. It was seven to it's one, booking, and and you. we also got the Bobby Lashley win over Brock no uh, Brock Lesnar, and it was weird because Bobby Le- Lashley was a plus one forty underdog, but Brock Lesnar was the favorite to win the Royal Rumble. So we sort of talked this out. Well, everyone thinks Brock's going to win the Royal Rumble. The only reason he would be going in the Royal Rumble is if he lost the belt earlier in the show, and lo and behold, that's exactly what happened. So some pretty keen wrestling handicapping on the lock shop last week. Um, went one and one in the football. You know the game I lost on. I did get the Niners plus three and a half, but uh, no Niners going to the Super Bowl. Hey, it's been a great show today. So fired up about Canada's men's national team. El Salvador coming up on Wednesday, one step closer to qualifying officially for the World Cup. Thanks to Steven Sandor for joining us. And of course, Benny Heiss for talking NFL. And the Hammer himself, Jeff Hamilton, joining us from Philly. Tomorrow, as Remus mentioned, we'll get ready for the final game before the All-Star break with Scott Billick on tomorrow's show. Uh, once again, a huge thank you to the sponsors that make Winnipeg Sports Talk happen every day. Nick and Nicky DQ Group, Cool Bet, Canadian Club Whiskey, Boston Pizza, Princess Auto, Little Brown Jug, Not Auto Corp, Royal Sports, Manitoba Battery, Culligan Water, F Apparel and our friends over at Vita Health Fresh Market. Thanks to Michael Remus and thanks to all of you for making us a part of your day. We'll see you tomorrow at one o'clock right here on WST. Oh my God! Oh! Shut it down! Let's go! Home! Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.